0: I got news for you sir we just did
1: oh where? Right. Cool.
0: just be good
1: that sounds yeah. good
0: so we got uh travis rogers how first of all how did you get um papa bear rogers
1: let's um, start there so when i uh my first job i wouldn't say my first job um i've always been involved in like educational aspects or like working with kids and stuff like i worked with um the children's Lewis beach house for a while when I was younger kid as a lifeguard and like a camp counselor. And then I did a lot of like boy scout leadership programs and then eventually stumbled into education. So uh, a couple years into like my weightlifting thing at the high school, I was like the weight director for a couple years. A bunch of the kids started like calling me pops and dad. Oh and no. How old yeah, are you though? You're, you're like 30, right? Yeah. I just turned 30 in uh, this last February. So Dog, that's happy.
0: like, it's, doesn't that trip you out when you're you're in your 20s? The, the weirdest shit is when you're in your 20s and somebody for the first time called you sir, and you're like, "Oh my!" God. Now I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't get sir a lot. I really don't. Um, it's the tattoos, my man. Yeah, it's probably a tattoo. <laughs> it's a tattoo. You don't
1: call it. It's it's buddy when you got tattoos. Yeah. You don't hey, you don't earn that respect. It's either that's uh, right. You got you got to talk to him sir. first. You it's gotta earn it. Like, you gotta like, call me like chief boss or, uh, or
0: or or you get the should you be here what are you doing here yeah you supposed to be here
1: i love it when we do like district meetings like it'll be like the school-wide district not just the people that know me at the high school because they'll be like who who's that guy and they're like oh yeah he teaches he teaches english here and they're like, they're, like
0: did, did somebody bring security
1: yeah who, yeah it's who's really the, who brought a fucking bodyguard to this, this meeting yeah, what is all happening
0: the time all the time, but I,
1: I can. I'm only five foot five, so I only bodyguard for like the short crowd. Man. I can't, I,
0: I can't maybe, I, the I've I. seen some action flicks, my man. You're probably packing heat, you never know. As <laughs> yeah. a matter of fact, a five foot five bodyguard, you got to be more intimidated with because you know he's not, he's coming armed. Yeah, you know he's coming, going, hard. he's going straight for your life, and, and he knows all types of kung fu or whatever. Man, he's five five. He's there's a problem here. There's a yeah. problem, there's so, a story behind that,
1: but anyway, so, sorry, I, got, I cut I got, you off. No, you're good, man. So I, I got the papa bear when all the kids were like, you know, constantly call me pops and dad. And like, I work at a really high, um high poverty, high needs school district. So like a lot of the kids are coming from like broken homes. Um, most of them don't have dad. So like, it was kind of like, at first it took me a while to kind of like grasp how heavy that was. Um, But then it, it really just rolled into it. And like all the kids that were coming to the, like the powerlifting club and the weightlifting program were just like you know, that's my dad, oh, that's my dad, like, that's my pops, and, like, they text me and call me pops, and, like, I give kids oh. my number. So, they're like, a term to... of endearment, it wasn't, so
0: it wasn't, like, a, a bust of yeah. chops, it was a term
1: of No, endearment. no, man, it was, it was all endearment, man, and, like, uh it's wild, too, because, like, now that I have a gym, uh, like, a real gym in Salisbury, and not just, like, the cave and how it used to be, Um, like, I have some kids that graduate in our alumni, but go to Salisbury College, so, like, they're literally, like, 10 minutes away from my new gym, so, like, I have, alumni kids coming by like all the time and seeing me be like dude it's been so long like it's how wild is that it's wild because i'm like you said like i'm only 30 but man when you see your kids like quote unquote like grown up man you feel old you feel really old And like of course, you... like, with all the power lifting, man, like I move like I'm ancient now. So they're like, man, <laughs> really getting up there, dad. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm only, I'm only 30. It. I just I hurt really bad all the time.
0: <laughs> they see your movements. They're like, that what the hell happened to you, man? We yeah. need you. Donate so quickly. You know, it's funny when because when you first said um the nickname like Pops, Pop or whatever, I shit you not. Um Kafui, who does some of the podcasts with me, we're at the gym. And one day he called me, I, he called me like pops or dad or whatever. And I said, fucking kill that right quick. Now, let me put it dead on that right quick. Cause yeah. as soon as you let it go for like you let that go for even three, four times. It just, it, if it starts yeah. to stick, you got to kill it before it sticks. If there's a nick, if someone tries out a nickname, you're like, oh, hell no. Call that, call them out right now.
1: Be like, let, let, we're going to kill this right now, So That's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I mean, it was like instant too. Like as soon as the kids sort of called me out, I was like, ah, yeah, like Papa Bear. Like I can deal with that. It's like a, it's like a thing. Like you're watching over them. Like you got the pack of Cubs. Like I was like, all right, that's cool. And I can deal with it. And then it just kind of like, Blossom because it was weird because we'd be at like USPA East Meets and like stuff, and people would be like, Oh man, you're a Papa bear. And I'm like, Man, that's so weird because it's like, it's <laughs> like what all my it's it wasn't weird because it was like, you know, I wasn't like that guy on Instagram or anything, and I'm still not that guy, but it's like that was a name only my kids would call me or like really close friends that were part of the foundation. So, like, when I was out yeah, that- in public at meets and stuff, I was just like, All right, this is this is kind of strange now. You see a
0: dude like your age, you're older. And they're like, Papa Bear, Roger? Yeah, exactly. And like, well, like, I guess yeah. now. I or like guess.
1: guys that are way older than me, like masters. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, Papa Bear, I watch your Instagram. And I'm like, man, this is really strange. This is out of control. This, this yeah. has got
0: a life of its own. That's how it happens, man. If it if you get a nickname in a room full of people, that shit, I, I, I've seen some nicknames jump off out of nowhere, and that'll never stop. Like, if, as soon as it happens in a room full of people... If it that could be all she wrote and your reaction to it, if you try to dead it too quick in a room full of people, you're making it more stick to you. Oh, yeah, it's guaranteed to stick. If it's one on one, see, that was one on one. I deaded it right quick. If there's a room full of people and they're busting your chops and you react to it, ah, there you go. Now you're you're in trouble.
1: It's it's sealed in stone. You got to find a new nickname real quick and make it stick somehow. It's funny because like uh, when I first joined uh, Stronghouse and they offered me a sponsorship spot, this was back when I was like, uh, I want to say I was probably like, I didn't get into powerlifting until I was probably like 20, 25, 26. So I've only been competing for probably a little more than five years. But um, when I got into it um, and a couple of years down the road, I was doing pretty well as like a 181 er before I was 198. um, I got my sponsorship offer from Stronghouse and like a couple of the guys, like they had like... The big stronghouse like group chat and stuff and um of course like as soon as i got into that um there was guys busting my chops already they're like oh we got a bear in here and of course like it's uh, like oh yeah gay slang and like just going off familiar yeah they're, they're really uh, it could
0: be awful. worse dude could have been like fucking twink 97
1: was your uh, yeah <laughs> it could have been but it, did, it didn't matter man like i've i've gotten it all because of that and it's you know it's weird to get the nickname from your kids but then like you get made of made fun of for that like like i'm telling you right now i have a lot of gay friends but uh pride month is a rough month for me dude like unsolicited dick pics all the time uh, (laughs) yeah it's so bad man and i'm like i'm always posting like pictures of like me and my wife and like i'm very happy but like, of course, right, like, no. people, people who are going to send dick
0: pics don't care anyway. So, like, yeah, no, dude, dude yeah. dudes are aggressive, period. Uh, oh, yeah. Dudes on girls are aggressive. A dude on the dude's going to be equally. That's the problem.
1: Right. Dude's like, ah, oh, whatever. No, and it's. it's. Take, it's they, take, it, the and it, take it and go. Take it and go. Because they always trick me. They'll be like, oh, man, what's your uh, what's your like lifting regimen? Right. Do you write your own program? And like, I think they're a guy like trying to like just be nice and, and ask then dick pic. Yeah, and seriously, I try to I try to just be nice and like talk to and help to everybody, but I'll be it will it'll go from zero to sixty. But like, what you're eating, like, what you're training, like, boom, dick pic. And I was like, I wasn't ready, man. Like, you didn't even leave me into it. The dude's like, can you take a look at my squat for me
0: and also my pecker? Can- yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> like bang bang. And you're like, all right, no, well, that's
1: aggressive.
0: 100%, 100%, 100% that's aggressive. That's
1: how it happens. You're
0: like, listen, I'm not gay, but if I was, I would go for a gentleman. Okay, no, <laughs> and actually, um.
1: One of, one of my best friends, uh, Corin, he's, he's gay and he goes to our gym. And, uh, it was funny. Cause I told him, I was like, man, you know, like, and I love him to death. I'm like, if I was gay, you would be the man, you'd be the man. And he, de- and he's, he's hysterical. He deadpan looks at me and goes, you know, you're really not my type. I would, I would probably cheat on you a lot. And I was like, dude, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> Listen, your ego was boosted by all those dick pics you got. So you you know, were thinking, man, I, yeah.
0: I'm quite you're like you tell your friend, "Hey, with all due respect, I'm quite the catch in that in that community. Don't 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 play me cheap. I know my worth." Oh, you no okay. He
1: like, he's like, "No, not at all." I'm like, "All right, I'm I'm going to I'm going
0: to I'm going to go over here now." Well, it sounds like you would have your pick for the litter. So don't let that get you down, buddy. <laughs> but um so even before even before powerlifting, I I want to get into how you found powerlifting, everything you're doing now. But how like when you were growing up where did you grow up in
1: in what environment how many how many brothers sisters um I'm actually an only child okay um so I'm an only child and my cousin Zach was an only child so uh we we grew up probably like 30 minutes apart in Delaware so um and I'm sure a lot of people listening are like what's Delaware I mean it's like so small most people don't know what it is so like even when we go out to bigger meets on like the west coast and stuff like We'll tell people where we're from and they're like dude i've never even heard of that i'm like what's delaware i mean I'm, I'm from canada and i'm from i heard of delaware right, right? but most people don't know and especially because there's not a lot of lifters coming out of like eastern shore and delaware that are like going to like nationals and stuff like that um but like i grew up in uh, sussex county it's very like rural formal farm area um chickens dude, huge chickens like we have a giant mount air plant which is responsible for like all the chickens around here um so constant smell of like manure and stuff like that um you don't really get into the cities until you're in like Wilmington and like going up to Newark and stuff like that or you're traveling more into Maryland getting towards Baltimore but uh very like laid-back country life tractors all that good stuff um not as like down home country as like some of the southern states but I mean pretty much like in the middle Mm. um I mean, they call it slower, lower for a reason. Cause everything's just like very laid back and slow paced. Mm. Um, but, um, so I guess, um, I got into really into powerlifting, um, when I got sober. So, um, I've done a couple podcasts and talked about like, uh, like my sobriety and like, um, kicking drugs and kicking alcohol. And it's funny because like me and Garrett actually have talked a lot about this and, um, we used to have to kind of have like a rivalry and would talk mad shit to each other. And then, um, I don't know, I think we kind of grew some respect for each other after uh, 2019 Nationals. And like, now we talk maybe like once or twice every two weeks, um, but I don't know, it's like weird. We've developed it kind of like, we're a lot more alike than we think and we hate that we like each other now. So it's- Dude, it's, isn't
0: that life though? Isn't yeah, that weird weird? You, you project onto people who you think they are based off of social media which is the worst way to try to know somebody and then um you like a podcast a long podcast like a two-hour podcast you hear someone you're like ah fuck me I think I might like this dude This yeah like I thought he was gonna be he's
1: he's just like a dude he's just a guy all the bullshit I gave him he's not actually the guy I pretended he was no 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 we're actually I mean we're we're cool now and it's weird because most of the 198ers that are like in the top 10 right now, like we all know each other. We're all pretty good friends. Like we all talk pretty frequently. Like I talked to Chad Pension, um, Eric Wilberg is, I, I really like Eric, Eric's a good dude. Um, my buddy James Mapp was in the, the 10 before he kind of like retired, but I think he's going to do the current actually. I think he just accepted something to invite. But um, like I said, like everyone talks and it's really cool that you find out that despite being so different and in a lot of backgrounds, it really draws an odd community together. And then you really do discover things that bring you a lot closer. Um, But I think uh, it was really once I got sober, like it was a choice for me. Like I never did. Um, I was never the guy who was like super religious. And I know uh, like even with my wife, like AA pushed religion a lot. Like, you know, you'd only get so far before you had a sponsor. It was like uh, Jesus saves and you need Jesus. And um, Mm. I've never never been that guy. So like I couldn't do that route. Um, She did for a little while and did really well for it. But then once her sponsor got like that, she kind of went out and did it on her own and really just being us being together and then me getting involved with the kids and stuff like really kept me like on the right path with that kind of stuff. But when I got sober, like I really had to make a choice and my wife was like a month sober before me and we had met when she had got out of the hospital um, for a pretty bad OD. And then um, it was a couple of days later, we had our first date um she came out to a bar and uh saw me and another teacher we we used to sing at like a side bar and do covers like i was pretty musically talented back then so i was like hey come come watch me sing at a bar even though you're in recovery and she was like really scared so she came out and like ordered tea at the bar and And um, she
0: just got out of the hospital for od yeah yeah yeah
1: but we had been talking so she was kind of interesting we kind of you were
0: sober at the time as well
1: no no i was definitely not yeah so that's kind of what led into it and powerlifting so once we once we kind of had our date there we we kind of bonded pretty quickly um she told her mom if i sucked at singing she would just turn and leave the bar apparently i did okay because she stuck around Jesus. Um, but uh we we both agreed that farts are really really funny uh, our first date <laughs> date, so date like, one yeah date one she was like i don't know how we talk i think we're talking about like dog farts or something because we both <laughs> like dogs but um and we eventually decided, like, farts bonded us, so we were going to be together forever. Um, so then we went on a date to, like, an antique shop and stuff, and then we were, like, kind of officially dating by the end of the week. But flash forward a little bit, um, I was still really trying to get my shit together. Um, I couldn't. Like, I'd gone periods of time, like, three, four, five months, you know, no alcohol and no drugs, and then uh, I'd relapse really hard and just, like, I couldn't get my shit together. But um, her her being sober and like me really liking her, um, she kind of like was like, hey, like this is what I'm about now, and you know, you're heading in the right direction with, you know, I just started working out when I was trying to get sober, um, like light stuff, machines at the gym, I was running a lot, I was super skinny, dude, like I was probably maybe 120, 130 pounds soaking, yeah, there's pictures of me that look like a skeleton, like legit, um, pretty bad, but, um, she was like, hey, if, you know, we're going to be together, like, you you got to get your shit together because I have to get my shit together. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like one of those ultimatum situations. And I decided, like, if I was going to be about it, I was going to have to replace it with something different. So I went balls into, like, working out and powerlifting. So it was like cold turkey. So, like, I replaced one addiction with another. And that's how I got into powerlifting. And how – so backing this up, because um, we
0: kind of jumped from – you growing up on the farm to bam you know you, you're you're knee deep in the drugs in your 20s and, and you met your girl where along the lines like in school what kind of a student were were you like how would other kids have described you in school and in high school and, and how did this come about that that you turned and ended up turning to drugs
1: like um, most people would have described me as like a pretty good kid um i was always one of those people that was I mean, and it's, it's kind of like sad for me to look back and like think about, but I was, um, I was really good at manipulating and I was really good at lying and uh, I was really good at hiding. So like I could, I was one of those people that was really good at like hiding in plain sight. So like I could be doing a bunch of shit and basically like not have teachers involved, not have my parents involved, Um, you know, and, and for a lot, a lot of people trusted me um, and I could get away with stuff like that because of the trust, which is, you know, one of those sick personality traits you have is somebody like with an addiction is like you will do what it takes to cover it up and not let anybody see through that kind of veil you've put up um so I mean like I was um of course there was a lot of like talk with my parents and stuff and then um when I went off to college um it got worse obviously because you know a little more freedom a little more you had you had less of a reason to put up a mask because like you know there's lots of people
0: why do you think you turned to it in the first place though was it just like intrigue started yeah I,
1: it really was man it was intrigue um I mean I'd always been into like art and writing and like I always I don't know there's just like a draw to it for me um it was and what, what was it initially um it was just alcohol at mm. start like um drank at a really young age probably like 13 14 Mm. um but didn't really get really bad till I was like in my like late teens like 17 18 um but then I had a really bad breakup like when I was supposed to move out move out with a girl and go to um Salisbury in a community college or not a community college with state college and uh just like the combination between that and like the freedom and like meeting a new roommate that I really didn't know and really didn't have to care about um, just kind of like really blossomed out of control Um
0: that's the thing at that age here's the thing too you go to college man there were some kids that like way embraced it. it it's like it's this is a word that's 2020. I hate using it but it's true it's normalized to be getting drunk and you're known as like a party guy frat guy you see teen movies people in colleges and they're just getting ripped apart and it's like you could easily do that and no one thinks they just think you're a party guy i think nothing's wrong right with exactly and that's that's it's fun the to big... be around
1: Yeah. And I mean, and it's funny because like, well, it's not funny, but like uh, I've talked a lot about that with like some of my older kids, like my juniors and my seniors who are going off to college. I'm like, and we've had that similar discussion you just described. It was like, it's so easy to recognize that like or to manipulate yourself into thinking you don't have a problem because of how normalized it is you know you'll look around and well everyone's drinking so if everyone's drinking like I clearly don't have a problem Mm. you know if that was true everyone would have a problem you know what I mean so it's very easy to perceive it that way and really keep yourself quote-unquote like afloat you know so you don't see that problem and that was that was more or less what I did and then uh, of course I had some some good college friends that were like dude you were you were like ridiculous right now and then um I got to a period in time where I was uh I was like peeing blood and like parts of my stomach lining were eroding away and then I had to go get that all checked out and stuff and they were like dude what are you doing you're like in your early 20s like you're gonna have the liver of like a 50 year old alcoholic if you don't stop so what is it what so so it was booze then
0: and because I've known people same scenario and uh, like, I've known people who died in their forties from it. So, like, like, cause your, your organs just get absolutely destroyed after a while. If, if you start peeing blood in your early twenties, you could see how by the time you're in your forties you're on dialysis and they're like, you're, you've gone too far. We don't, we, you know, it is what it is. And um, so you at one point were like, what, what do you think tipped it over? You're like, I have to go see a doctor. And when your doctors talk to you, were they like, my friend is this did they know his booze right off the bat
1: yeah yeah oh yeah um i I probably honestly when i went i was probably tipsy at least Mm. um i mean it's pretty obvious and like uh the weird weight fluctuations like dude it was weird because it's there's i haven't been able to find a lot of them but there used to be pictures of me pretty chubby too where like the drinking had just so got out of control and like i'd gotten really fat and then when I got like into a band and stuff, and I was playing a lot at uh, the college, and we were playing a lot of house parties. Then I got hooked in the drugs. So then it was like the opposite effect. Then I started getting like crazy skinny and like dumping weight and not eating and like all that kind of stuff. Mm. So it was it, it was it was just like one extreme after another.
0: And in 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 saying that, like. So so your day-to-day life, how often would you would you be sober then? And how do how does it's it, it's tough for someone to understand how someone could be drunk every day and still have a life like maintain a lifestyle that you know keep the keep the ball rolling? It sound, it sounds very difficult to, to manage.
1: Um I think it I think it is difficult to manage, but it really just depends on like what type of person you're already predominantly made out to be like for me like i was always very like high functioning so um for me like i could you know i could drink the entire time i wrote a term paper
0: oh yeah yeah
1: and like i was one of those people like i it didn't necessarily affect stuff like that like obviously i have to go back and edit it (laughs) because there'd be some like pretty bad typos but i mean like you could literally sit down and, and write like a whole paper um you know and i could turn it in and you know receive really good ranks on it and not not think anything of it and i mean that's another thing that helped me mask it so much was was like hey man it's obviously not that bad if i can still you know commit to this level of like higher education without that much of a repercussion from it
0: right no you're 100 right you're looking for people have an idea in their head of what they think an addict is and they're like why did i talk to him earlier he seemed fine it's like you don't you can't necessarily tell in your day-to-day all the time, right? Like there are people who who hide in plain sight, like you said, and have addictions. I've had a buddy who I remember early days trying to convince other people there's this problem here and other people being, and him telling other people, man Lapidat's tripping. I don't know why he's telling people this. Fast forward, we all know he ends up in and out of rehab, whatever. But in early days, I remember saying, our friend's got a problem here, man. What the hell's going on? And our other buddy's being like, man, relax, it's it's okay. If, if He's got a full-time job, girlfriend, whatever. But it's, it's not, I think people have a, a different idea of what addiction looks like sometimes.
1: And I also think that goes to show a, kind of like what you talked about earlier, where you have this idea of like normalization of it, where like, for example, if we looked at popular media or like a TV broadcast or even movies, like you're looking at the typical, like, strung out person and begging for change under a bridge like they always assume addiction looks like homelessness for some reason you know and that's really if you think about it how it's portrayed in a lot of media shots but that's it's just so far from the truth or like you have that typical um broadcast of like um the drunk alcoholic dad at home like beating his kids and it's like as as much as that does happen in real life it's like that's not what addiction looks like forever everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of those things you talked about and the normalization of those images and ideas that really bends our perception of what it is and what it isn't. Like, I mean, obviously I don't have kids. I'm not a 4 year old dad at home. You know, I'm not under a bridge. Like, but it's just because it's because of those images that people associate that with addiction. It's,
0: it's like those stereotypes make it easier for an addict to hide because they just don't have to look exactly. like a cliche addict.
1: Right, yeah. Like, I mean, I was in you know, dress shirts and, and stuff at, in my master's program at, at college. And you, you probably never know. Right. Unless yep. you unless you were with me or live with me. And they were like, holy shit. How's that guy going to class right now? How's that guy doing a seminar discussion right now?
0: Yeah. Unless you let him in the inner circle. W- what do you think at the time you were getting from it? Like, do you, what do you think your mind state was like, did you enjoy it? Or is it just like, I don't know why I have
1: an uncontrollable urge that I have to. It was, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I always related it to like great writers and stuff that I always admire. Cause when I first went to college, like I always wanted to be a writer. Like I initially set out to be a writer and I kind of stumbled into teaching later on. But um, like, I mean, one of my favorite authors is Ernest Hemingway, which was a raging alcoholic. Um, But I mean, it was like, when I wrote it, it felt like when I was drinking, it matched the way um, like I felt physically outside the way I thought internally. So like, mm. for example, like a, a big thing I've talked to kids about, especially now with writing is like the difference between an author and like someone who's narrating their story they're writing, like the difference between, you know, yes, I may pull from real life examples and things that have happened to me as an author, but my narrator can bend in, differentiate those truths and turning into something completely fictional but i mean if you're thinking about things in complete detail with like your day-to-day life like i i, I was getting to a point where i almost thought in the process of like a story like it was hmm. really strange like i wouldn't talk to people the way i was thinking like and, and i still do that a lot like Um, For example, like, um, I've had um, some of my special ed instructors that also help like with my 10th graders and some of my 12th graders that have caseloads. And uh, like, we'll do student writing examples. And uh, I'll even write some of my stuff and put it on the board and let the kids be like the teachers, like they edit my paper and like, try to figure out what's confusing to them. So like that in turn makes them a better author. But um, I've even had them come to me. And they're like, I don't understand how you write stuff like that. Because when you talk to me, it's it's like a different person and I was like yeah it's that's how it is like if I talk to you the way I thought about things like the way I write them which is more closely to how I think like those would be some strange conversations you would deem me as extremely awkward it's isn't it you know isn't it, it is it
0: artists are often I mean from writers and 100 there's tons of famous writers in the past who had dealt with addiction to like musicians to actors is there something about the artistic, you know, mind that is drawn to this addiction, like addictions period? Cause there seems to be a pattern or, or is it just they're famous you know, nine times out of 10. So it's more out there and there's a lot of CEOs and sales guys who probably have addictions too. Like we know there is, and there's right. factory workers who go home working nine to five that, you know, the stereotypical 40 year old dad comes home from the job, throws around his wife and he's, you know, whatever, but or, or do you think there is something there that like in terms of artistic, it, it, like we know there's
1: uh, addicts everywhere,
0: but they lean more towards percentage wise when you start
1: moving in that direction. You
0: think there's something with that?
1: I mean, I think there's definitely like, for example, I definitely think you're onto something if we took more like um, like a personality test and it would tell you, you know, your rates of perception, your rates of, you know, different values you you value at your core, but also like, your expressionism, like how much you like to be confined away from other people. And it's really funny you said that because normally people who, I mean, I feel like this is a perception anyway, normally people who would like to avoid social situations, who have more of like a a depressive gene, who more like seek the comfort of themselves or be away from people, I think that same amount of percentage also is you know, can suffer from addiction with the same ones who are wild party animals. You know what I mean? I really don't think it, it necessarily targets people personality-wise, but I think it has something more to do with, like, you literally your internal ability to, like, process different chemicals, uh, stimulations and things like that. Like, I don't necessarily think it was, like, your personality governs it, but I think it's more of, like, how your body reacts to it. Cause um, there's, there's different people on both ends of the spectrums that would suffer from the same exact thing and possibly handle it different. But that doesn't make them all like, you know you couldn't make us all take a personality test and we'd all, all, all the addicts would come up with the same thing. You know what I mean? It's yeah. I, don't, I don't know if there's a way they could possibly like diagnose that or prove it. It is, yeah, you know, you might be right. It might be something the way the body processes
0: but there is something to be said also like some people are those party animals because they they are introverted but when they drink or do whatever they feel extroverted and empowered and all of a sudden they like that holy shit! when i drink i'll walk in a room i don't care who's in that room and i'll be the loudest guy in there whereas you catch me sober i just want to crawl up in my house and like you won't hear a peep from me so yeah. something. But that's not everybody,
1: like you're right. And and that's an interesting point you bring up because I think uh, truly, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about in relation to it, is how that really intersects with powerlifting. Because Mm -hmm. I think that's been the biggest thing for me is, uh, and I actually wrote an article on this on Elite FTS that was published a while back. I want to say like a year and a half ago. But um, the idea of both a trade-off as far as your personality types but also in how many people who are in addiction or recovering addicts that are drawn to powerlifting. Is yeah. it, is it, is this, you think it's fairly common? I, I really do. I really do. And the and the more I talk to people and the more the people that like reach out to me online that have like read my article or like heard another podcast where I talked about like briefly about this. And then like, I try not to go in depth about it, like every single podcast and stuff like that. But, um, I really think there's there's something about powerlifting that seems to draw those type of people. Um, and I know for me, um, there's just like these brief seconds when, I don't know, man, it's, it's so crazy. Cause I'm actually, I'm working on another article right now. That's, uh, have you ever seen the movie um, Man on Fire with Denzel Washington? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's training the little girl, right, for swimming. Yeah. I think that's the right movie. Am I am I on the right movie? Uh, tell me the scene, but it's Denzel for sure, and there's a little yeah, girl I really he's protecting. I think it's Man on Fire, and he protects uh, a little girl in it. So it sounds like it is. Every movie he protects a little girl. Well, this is like a this is like a little girl, and she's she's training for swimming, and he's trying to teach her that um, the sound of the gun. So when the you know the race begins and they fire the handgun, that that sound sets her free, right? So she's a prisoner on this block on the diving block but the sound of the gun will set her free mm-hmm. right and only then will it will she be completely free and i've been writing this article about uh i really want to do like a study between so i i write i have people who listen to my play playlist on spotify and stuff like that who ask me to share my music or like even on videos like you'll repost me they'll be like you know you have like those 20 guys are like what song what song right. is this? like and it's so annoying but I try to like send people, you know, songs and playlists, but by like having one song that triggers your particular emotion you need, like how that relates to things like a gun, like something like that for racers or swimmers and how that same effect can be utilized during powerlifting. You right? mean so that like,
0: dopamine rush like that?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so for example, like, all right, so there's a song I always play like when I'm at a meet or when I'm in training, when I'm when I'm taking like super heavy, like third attempts for practice or like anything like that. Right. And it reminds me a lot of drinking and like all the people I've done really wrong in my past, you know, in my past life before I got cleaned up. And it, and it really fucks with me. Like, dude, like I'll immediately start crying. It's really crazy because like everyone in the in the gym, too, like when that when that song comes on, everybody's like, yo, some shit's going down right now. And like, I I just turn into a, get a completely different headspace and know, you know, and I'll usually listen to it like in headphones, but they know they already know, but it's like, when you, when you take those headphones off, like you're getting ready for the platform, just like that little girl listening for that gunshot, like, can you train your body to react off those noises to achieve a certain goal?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you can. Well, I've done, not to dive too. First off, before I before I say, I want to say, what song is it, dude? I gotta know now because this is the biggest endorsement I've ever <laughs> heard. <laughs> You're like LP drops this weekend to so get this banger. What song is it? What's your uh, song?
1: Well, it's actually a song by a, a band called Dayseeker, and it's actually called Drunk. Oh. Um, and there's another one they play called uh, Sleep Talker, and both of them uh, really like trigger emotions in me. Um, Like they really remind me of like all the people I've done wrong. Like they remind me of like getting sober and like what it took. So like it always like really gets me in my feels. And I, I used to be such an emotional lifter to the point where of course like there's more popular videos of me like online like freaking out and screaming and breaking ammonia bottles which is why we developed the metal ammonia bottle for zone because I kept breaking them all. And I was like, hey, I got an idea. And then me and Liam came out with this, you know, we threw it. Yeah, I had him like throwing it off buildings and shit to see if it would break. Um, so then I could hurl it across the room as far as I wanted and it wouldn't shatter into a thousand pieces, but, um, we would just like, I don't know, man. So this, it's, this, but uh,
0: when you were saying, when you were saying, um, if, if stimulus like waits, a song you hear or, uh, you know, talking about ammonia, some sense will do the sense, bring back memories as well. We all know this. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so <laughs> I've done some research on, I love sports psychology. All right. So you, you, you playing my song. So I'm talking okay? like
1: right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you playing my song right now when you all talk about right. sports psychology. So I've looked into it and um, the Russians actually looked at it first. They were a little ahead of us with their Olympic team, but they started doing things like friends, like Randy Couture, who was a, a USC fighter and um, an Olympian as well. He bumped into a Russian. They had discussions at one of the Olympics, older dudes. So this is way back. And, the Russians started explaining to him how the physical body will react to a mind's image that can be placed there, whether it's the cue from words, music, scent, and it can be placed there almost hypnotically. It can be Im- implemented there. And then, so Rennie Couture does seminars and he was saying, so he'll go into a room full of people. And he's like, I'll do it right now on a low scale, but I'll do it right now. And he has everyone close their eyes and he's walking them through what a lemon looks like. And you know, just picture the lemon, picture it on the table in front of you, picture the contours. And you, you he gets really into describing it, but you eyes closed are full on and, and it's far more detailed and complex. Now he's cutting through the lemon with a knife and he's talking about how it breaks the skin, breaks in and a little juice comes over. People started getting their mouths started watering. A, a, a chemical, physical reaction to this imagery in the head happens, and this was studied, right? And he's like, that's small, that's a small scale reaction. It's a lemon, you have no emotional attachment to it and your mouth is, the saliva is building up. But I could give you scenarios where your heart starts racing. If we start getting deep, a sports psychologist where I'm like, tell me about your past. Tell me about certain issues. Tell me about, and we start going deep like that. And I start developing cues with you. And it could be from, for fighters, if they're in the cage, if there's like a person's name, that they could say to bring you back from the fatigued beat up state to the winner's mentality of, you know, you're not quitting. We got two minutes left. And you thought you were on the verge. This is real, you know? And Olympic weightlifters did it ultra like in terms of the 10,000 meter runners when fatigue comes in and it's all about quitting. This was like store psychology was huge. They found out and it was, you can't play music. You can't wear your headphones, but there might be words or mental cues you use to get the response. And it became, they did studies on it and it absolutely, they had like from the heart rate rising to to like, I mean, rising to a point of you should be running sprinting, but the person standing there because of that emotional response. Um, So the Russians did it first. And then through Olympics and people talking, it started moving on to the now like sports psychology, you saying bolt, all these guys got a sports psychologist on and you talk about, especially boxers, MMA guys, people like a tiger woods, things were mental. You know, when you hit like a weird, like a, like if you're a pitcher and you go through a bad funk and you can't get it back and you're like, what the hell you're splicing. Every a, a, a golfer is slicing every hit. And you're like, I don't know what's going on right now. You gotta go see a sports psychologist you sit down and because it's more than just body mechanics my friend a guy like tiger woods swung that thing since he's three years old the mechanics didn't change if, if he's like the mecha- you're not injured no i'm not injured then what changed you go into psychology it, it it's you know it's it's real man it's the engine of your car right so um yeah 100 man so when you talk about you know for some people if they go on to like just hearing the bar is loaded and your 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 heart starts thumping. My friend, I've gone through my party era. Okay. Not like <laughs> not you and Gary Fear style, but I've gone through my party day. And there is no such thing as a high or a or a buzz as when you walk onto that platform, there's a sea of people in front of you yelling your name, going up, 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 and you're like, holy smokes, you're shaking. It, it's it's phenomenal, man. And then you walk off that platform and the dopamine levels are through the roof. You know, it's 100%. Well, I, I could totally see how somebody who, who enjoys that high can follow that. And then on the other side, if you are a little introverted in the high, like the drinking or the drugs would have brought you extroverted. Powerlifting is something that you're going through a tough day. You could do it yourself, with your earphones on. You, you can might even have weights in your basement. You don't even have to talk to somebody and get through a set, get through a training session and just do your thing and improve. And the dopamine comes in on your own without having to talk, go through whatever. And the dopamine comes up and you have that sense of accomplishment. The body has exerted. So the relaxation and calming of the nervous system because you fatigued it sufficiently and all the, it's just managing these on your own even though you're introverted, even though whatever you're dealing with, I could see how powerlifting as opposed to a sport where you show up every Tuesday at seven, 30 other guys are there. You feel like an outcast and you feel like one there. I could see how, if you're choosing sports, I think you're onto something. I could see how there might be an attraction. there.
1: And I even think that like, um, so it makes sense of what you're saying. I totally agree with it with like the bar is loaded and that being like, obviously the simplest of triggers, if we were really going to talk about things like that, because I mean, that's one you're going to hear at every meet. So right. it would totally make sense to train for that cue, to train for that trigger point. Right. I'm also talking about though, the idea, especially with addicts, right. Or in re- recovered or in recovery addicts, the idea that if powerlifting gave you something to replace that addiction, is there parts of it that you only associate with because it lets you keep around the parts you wish you could forget? Dive in a little deeper. Expand on that, I'm intrigued. Okay, so again, writing on this now, Um. so- okay. Is this a spoiler? Are you okay with saying that? No, yeah, I'm okay with it, I'm okay. Okay, good. Um, so the idea that all right so let's let's just say um let's just say i'm two people okay and this is this would be the simplest way to imagine it i guess so you have the normal guy who trains in the gym right you have the powerlifter who trains in the gym now if you're training for a trigger point such as like a song or like even the bar is loaded the cue right is I understand when you're talking about, you said, oh, you know, you hear that and that rush of endorphins and like the crowds roaring and everyone's screaming up. But what about if that person never trains for that in particular? Cause I started to realize like, I I don't train for that. Like I never have trained for that. And it, it was weird for me when I first started to realize it. Cause it was like, cause rather than meets, this happens all the time in training, right? So. If, if you make that part of your program per se, if you make that part of a weekly, for lack of a better word, ritual, right? And you go to that place and you, you know, that's not surrounded by people. That doesn't take everyone in a room. That takes zero people screaming up at you. It doesn't take anyone saying shit to you. It triggers off a, a song that goes off and then you walk away because you no longer have headphones on. Is there a way, almost like ammonia? So, like when you hit ammonia, you know you have what, fifteen seconds? Something, something quick, right? Your adrenal glands go like you're ready to go. But can music and and that re- recalling of memory do the same exact thing, but on like a different plane? I think 100. I, I think what? I think like.
0: The, the high I said about hitting the platform, yeah, like you're not going to do that every week. However, when you're training and you're about to hit a top set, it's not the same high as when you're on the platform, but you're getting a piece. Everyone knows when you pop on the phone, earphones that everyone's like, every, I've, everyone's had those times. You have your gym squad. You came in and your fucking crew knows that you have a big single or something or like the vibe is different. All of a sudden, you you feel even if no one's there, but you know you got you know what you're gonna do. There's something there about the process going up to that big single, and be like okay, here we go, and you trigger it, you bring yourself up. I whip myself up into a frenzy to get myself where I need to be to hit a big single, based off of like a song I play or um, or a memory I bring back or or something trigger some trigger to get that going. Here's the thing. If you use it too often, I've noticed to get the adrenaline and adrenaline feels. Adrenaline is so weird because it's like anxiety, but excitement at the same time. They're very, very similar feelings, but you feel it and it's fucking like, whoa, that's why there are adrenaline junkies out there. But if you go in that well one too many times, like on a couple times a week for too many weeks in a row leading into a meet, there are times when it's hard to get that up again and keep it going all the time because it is just. A mental stimulus that you're trying to whip yourself in, right? Like it's not—it's not,
1: like, like the same thing as is taking your CNS too far and not allowing it to recover.
0: Yeah, I, the adrenaline—it's it, the same where I've—I've I've done, man. I've been powerlifting for a while, and uh, like ten over ten years, we're going on like twelve years, and I've done it where I've left my best in the gym, and by the time the last few weeks, I'm like I can't even get up for my last singles because I've done it so many. You know, you're eight weeks out. You're like, if I'm hitting these numbers eight weeks out, by the time I'm two weeks out, God knows what I'll be hitting. I but love it's like, talking to people like that. <laughs> but it's like, my friend, you're not going to sustain this. Yeah, you yeah. are getting so worked up, so far out. Like, how are you? You can't. It's un- You can't do it. Um. So it
1: is. There is a point of digging into that well one too many times. What but, What about though? All right. So just just because because we're talking your language, we gotta we gotta shoot the shit on this. Let's do it. What about if you dig in? And I think this is very true for a lot of people, and I don't think there's a lot of people that openly talk about it. What if you not not necessarily CNS? Cause like, I mean, of course, the old classic quote from Ed would be, you know, you only have so many, you know, one rep maxes in your body, make them count on the platform. It's something like that. I'm sure I butchered that rendition of that quote, but you know what I'm talking Forget about. We get the point. Yeah. So, but what about that emotional well? Like, so, so what about if you dig into that too many times? I think it, it ultimately changes people, like changes personalities. Like, I will tell you, I've dug into it way more than I should have. And it it literally changes who you are. Like you are not the same person, you know, two years powerlifting ago than you are now and like I've even had people like tell me that like you're such a different lifter now like you used to be so like ferocious and screaming and like that wild like external force right but now it's very few are few and far in between that I get like that um you know it's like once every a blue moon but like the emotional changes where like I said you know you've been practicing with that music that song where it doesn't necessarily take you as a frenzy right it's more like literally memory recall where it it fucks you up to the point where you it's almost like I wouldn't say it's on the side of like depression but it, in a sick way it almost is like I don't I don't listen to it to go to the bar and be like oh yeah this is my way this is my time it's like it fucks me up like mentally where when I approach it, it's, it's not a, yeah, this is your time. Oh yeah. Let's get this one rep. It's like, this is all there is left. So in that 45 se- second span of time, you feel fucking nothing. Like, and I don't mean like, Oh, like, I was so pumped. Like nothing mattered. I didn't feel anything. I mean, like emotionally, like you are not fucking present wow like an out of body almost like you you don't exist your task does like you are a a literally a different person like you are just simply not like if you called your man travis is not answering like uh, (laughs) that that, I, i am not home at the current moment like it's like that and i've learned that going that route it seems to me uh really associates more with addiction because you enjoy that feeling. You enjoy that numbness, that
0: oh, out-of-body wow, okay.
1: experience, yeah. right? Because that's in a, in a lot of sense, that's what alcohol and drugs does for people. You know what I mean? Like you enjoy the numbness, the, I don't care, the, the blankness of it all for lack of a better word. But I think that's what draws some, some people in recovery or still suffer from that problem into powerlifting because there are things you can do that just take it to a different place. And it's like you said, it's not a frenzied place. It's not a, I don't know. It's not a, I wouldn't even say it's a place of excitement. Like I'm never like, Oh yeah, I get to go there today. Like, it's like, wow, this it's is fascinating. Right. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. I told you I was shooting your language. So yeah. It's more like when you're there, like are, okay. So let again, with the two people, if that person fucking shows up for that 45 seconds, is that the person you left in your past? Is that the only inkling and small little truth you have left of someone you didn't want there to be anything left of, but they fucking show their head and that's what's slowly like leeching and like keeping you on to that? Jesus
0: fucking Christ, dude. That honestly, that was incredibly deep. And I could tell you right now, so I, I, I also like, I don't have I don't have an addiction past, but I have been through some weird mental journeys with it in terms of like the, the frenzy, the, the, the mellowing out the detachment, all of it, you go through some weird, it takes you in weird places that you just can't find in your day-to-day that's yeah. why it can be addicting. Yes. Um, that's a really interesting, I could 100% see how a recovering addict could be chasing that. Now, here's the thing that I found for myself. You, you tell me how you are finding it. I can't find that place as many times anymore. It's far more sparing. Now it's far more of a, instead of bringing myself into a different mental state, that'll only happen on a big competition or something like that training it's, it starts becoming more going in, shifting weight, getting work done, et cetera. Because year after year after year after year, lift after lift, week after week, over a decade in, do you think you'll still, but an addict might still be able to because it's all mind games. So here's the thing. It's not a chemical putting in your body where it takes you there, whether you like it or not.
1: It's all mind games. So if you can control your mind. This is good. All right. So number one, you'll have to ask me again in like six years when I've been powerless. Yeah, we're going to come, we'll come (laughs) back. You said 12 years, right, for you? Yeah. 12, so I'm almost, I'm a little probably into six years total. Okay. Uh, so you're going to have to talk. Okay, to me.
0: young man. Well, I'll yeah, you back. No,
1: yeah. <laughs> Wait, how old are you? 24. Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> joking. Up. I'm joking. No, I'm 41. It's really funny you said that because uh, we have a new guy that's from, from the football team of the college close to the, the school. And he goes, man, Travis, like. I've been lifting so much longer than you. How are you so much better than me? And I said, well, to tell you the truth, I didn't get into lifting, like even really lifting weights. So I was like 24, 23, 24. So, you know, I've only been training for like seven years, powerlifting for like five to six. And I was like, how long you been training? He was like, since I was like 12. And I was like, uh, all right, dude, uh, I'm going to say something that's going to break your heart. So I'm just going to lay it out there on Front Street because I love you and I I like having you here at my gym. So I'm going to be honest with you. I've had some really quality four to five years in me. (laughs) How many years did you spend whipping your dick in a circle? And he was like, uh, and I was like, when was your first program? And he goes, last week.
0: Wow, oh,
1: and I was man, like, what
0: are we talking about here?
1: And I was like, bro, there, there therein lies the harsh truth.
0: Right, right. Yeah. It doesn't add up. But so so what do we think what do you think in terms of going to that place and being able to maintain going to that place? Repetitively over and over. Do you think it's possible? Like, look at there's freaking Shaolin monks out there in the world. There are people who can meditate in and do all types of create. If if you master that mind control, who knows what you're capable of?
1: So I liked your I liked your idea right before I you know I had to ruin it with some slight humor um, because that's just who I am. <laughs> but you had a great idea where you were talking about like, okay, so let's say like we're talking about you and you said, okay, I, you know, Travis, I have a hard time. It's few and far between now. Like I have a hard time getting in that headspace. Right. So I think the real question you're trying to ask me is as someone in recovery, right. Or other people like me who are in recovery or even still suffering. Right. Like what are you, are you asking me, do you think they will be able to maintain that longer? If not all the time, because of who they are in their past versus you, is that what you're really asking me? Here's here's two two parts to it. I think, A, could they find that space? C-
0: could they find that space? Yeah, because of their past, because they know where they're going, they have they, they they know how to get there, right? They might even be far more. They've gone to different places. Um. So yeah, that like like you took it. Or B, what if they can't after a while, and there was something there in terms of the addiction that you know, they were finding, filling a void with, and if it wears off, I mean, I guess there's always other things in life. And maybe that's the calling card. If that's what you, why powerlifting brought that's not why everyone gets into powerlifting, but let's use this example of the individual with an addiction pass. Um, I, I mean, we're throwing out scenarios here. I'm not saying you've got all the answers for me, but what do you feel about that?
1: All right. So, um, okay. So let me see if I can think of a a good way to explain this okay so so if per se all right so I, i definitely think that some people have an easier time gaining again for lack of better words for gaining access to that that portion that that control that headspace but on speaking of burning out of it, this is where I think I can definitely relate to you and like tell you some things that I think I'm I'm eventually going to experience, which also has terrified the living fuck out of me. Correct? Okay. So, I always always told myself that um, that powerlifting, you know, there's so many people that would would say like, you know, since powerlifting's, you know, not a not a quote unquote real sport because we're not in the Olympics and all that shit there's too many feds, too many different rules, too many regulations, blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, like I'm not gonna be able to do this forever. None of us will. Now, because of like the charity and because of my foundation and because of me working so hard to become a person that I honestly was probably never meant to be, right? Let's just use this example what happens if that person that for again to explain it easier that positive that good person pushes what's little left of that other person that i use to tap into completely away will all those head spaces disappear will that access point go poof will i no longer be able to reach that spot will i run into what you're saying it's so very few and far between you know, because essentially those people with addiction, I think utilize that headspace to number one, like tune into that trauma, right? Like, so when I remember it, like I, I'm visibly upset. Like if you look at me, I usually am crying when I'm at the bar. Like people have seen this for me at nationals and competition. They're like, dude, I don't know if you're going to like fucking cry all day or you're going to fucking stab me you look like a fucking psychopath right because i'm just crying the whole time you just put me in my corner and let me look at pictures of my kids and cry like a fucking infant right because i lose my fucking shit but what what if those two people were always destined to be split right you had to have one to have the other like i could never reach that point if i had never developed a good person but that person would have never fucking came to be if i didn't have the old one Mm. right so how can you progress both as a person and as an athlete knowing that one of those people, both good or bad might end?
0: What if, what if one was never supposed to see well the way? Well, addiction though they say is lifetime. So maybe you,
1: maybe you're never going to. And that's, again, maybe that's a question to ask in six years. <laughs> holy shit eh? it's 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 like that it's like
0: the one rocky that came out when he's like in his 50s making his comeback and he says um and his one buddy's like what do you what do you do man he was like in his 50s some point in there and he's like um i, I can't retire yet there's something in the basement this is like a famous part scene in the movie and he's like the basement what are you what's in, what are you talking about the basement he's like there's some stuff in the basement and this is like, he lost his wife to cancer, watched her die the whole night, right? He's got some demons he's fighting. And he's like, I got to exercise those demons in the basement. And the guy's like, I don't understand. And Rocky can't explain because it's just like you're trying to explain now where it's like, man, you it's feeling, how do you explain a feeling sometimes? It's very difficult, right? And, um, but he had to exercise those demons. And then after after the fight, as the story goes, he exercised it and those demons are gone. But you know, to an extent, he he lost his wife. doesn't matter if he's, he's in his 50s. You tell me when he's 70, he's not gonna have some flashbacks, but perhaps there's a, a little more peace with it. I don't know, uh, it's, I think it's gonna be different for everybody. But if, if it's, mm-hmm. when it's exercising demons, like literally, man, we're talking exercising and, and past demons. But um, I don't know, is tapping into it a good thing necessarily, or maybe it is and you should be suppressing. I had the same buddy that I was telling you about. This is a bit of a he he, so he he went through his thing when he's in his 20s, same age as me. So he's
1: like 40, 41. And he had a dream. (laughs) So now your real age comes out. Now I know. All right. right. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I was waiting for you to slip up and admit how old you
0: were. I do a reference. You're like, hold the fucking phone. That was in the eighties. How old did you say you were? Um, But uh, so my, my buddy, he had a dream and apparently it's called a craving dream where in his dream um, he did drugs again. He shot, he got, ended up being painkillers to heroin. He ended up shooting heroin in his dream and your body releases when you have a craving dream, a huge shot of endorphins. So you actually get high in your dream. So you purchase the drugs, you shoot it, and you feel the high in your dream, it feels the same. And hes he felt the shot of endorphins of whoa, the high. And if you're a heroin addict and you ever shoot heroin, you're right back on it. He woke up and it was like he shot. It doesn't matter. It's, it's like the sickest thing fate can give you for the rest of your life. You can never even, you could pull yourself away from other addicts, other situations do everything right, but a dream comes and you get high in your dream. You have no, man, fucking, you know what happens in dreams. You know, the freaking sky could be raining marshmallows. You don't have control over it. And boom, he's right back up. He, he falls off the wagon or on the wagon, whichever one it is. And he's, wow. he's now back onto heroin and he was good for years. I remember finding out he wasn't in my life at that point because it got to a point where he went down a whole different road. I mean, I even lost track of this dude. How many times you have conversations with him being like, my man, you know, this isn't something, this isn't something I got in my life. And um, you know, this, I can't, I can't have this around me. And uh, eventually you hear stories about like, he's in all different countries, some wild stories, man. He's a wild dude. And um, to hear he's got his things together, everything's going good middle-aged and then that happens you're like god damn it so that's where like i don't know when you talk the human mind is freaking fascinating my friend and when it comes to things like that i don't know man i don't know you know it's it works both ways there are people who like i said with the russians in in terms of their olympic team what they found out that you can achieve so much when you tap into it you know if you're talking about motivation in, in hypnosis. Do, have you ever read Mike Tyson's autobiography? No, I haven't. Okay, are you familiar with Mike Tyson? Of course. <laughs> okay, listen, I, I was talking to a dude, he's like, people younger don't know who Mike Tyson is. I'm like, are you fucking crazy? How do you not know who Mike Tyson is? They're I'm like, the guy's I'm like, it is what it is. So anyways, um, read Mike Tyson's autobiography and he was 13 years old and he was, I mean, I, they were like shooting people his his best friend his name was Hamo short for homicide and he was a hitman um, not when he's 13 but as he got older he was their friends at 13 when he got older he became a hitman and so tyson grew up in in like just an absolutely terrible part of new york was in and out of the system in like ultra violent he would follow women like out of the grocery store. And when they got to their car, one punch KO him, take everything they had. And he would feed himself because he was homeless. And he'd feed himself with the food, take their money. It's like he had the superpower, but he didn't, he was a fucking kid. He got bullied because he was dirty and homeless the whole night. The system picks him up. Custom Auto takes him out the system. And Customado is is a boxing coach. Because one of the guys who were, was in the system in, in the youth center was a boxer sparring with Tyson. And he was like 27. And Tyson would like break his nose and beat him up. And he's like, this kid is the goods. I need to get him to a boxing coach. This could save his life. So when Tyson was with Cus and we all know how the story ends with Mike Tyson, he ended up being quite good. But um, C- Tyson said he would lay down at night to sleep and Cus would come in and he was huge at the hypnosis. It would say to Mike, he would think he was quite Sometimes he was sleeping, sometimes he wasn't. And you hear Cus saying, repeating things saying, You are a God when you step in the ring. You are not a man. You are the task you are going to achieve. You feel no emotions. You don't feel fear. You don't feel anger. You remember your studies. You are Jack Dempsey. You are Jack Johnson. You are Sonny Liston. These are all like the greatest heavyweights of all time. You were ferocious. And then you go into, you were Achilles. You were Charlemagne. You were a God. Then he'd say these things over and over repetitive. And then he'd leave the room. Sometimes Mike was asleep. Sometimes he wasn't. When you're asleep, you hear things. That's why if a song comes on on the radio softly, doesn't wake you up, it enters your dream. And then when you wake up and you're like, holy shit, that was on the radio. And I thought it was on a fucking beach somewhere and someone's someone was playing that song. Your ears are still working. You're still hearing things. So Tyson started, as he got older, got into sports psychology and, and hypnosis and how suggestive in his mind. Because he knew when he was a kid, Mike was a, a like 16, 15 I don't know if you ever seen pictures of Mike Tyson who was 16, 15, the guy was jacked. It looked like a fl- like he was 22 on Sauced Up, like he was jacked. <laughs> they would take him to try to get some fights and they would take him to a boxing gym. And um, Teddy Atlas said, I would bring him to a boxing gym. Teddy Atlas is like one of the trainers working custom auto. And everyone would lie about agents. They're called smokers. They're unofficial matches, They're not actually amateur. They're not pro. It's like my guy's going to fight your guy. You have a boxing team. I have a boxing team. I'm bringing my boys to your gym. We're just trying to get some experience. He goes, This is how it's done. You have a pack of kids. You tell me, My kid, he's 15. That means he's 17. He's only had four fights. That means he's had 10 fights. Gotcha. And then I bring a guy who I'm saying is 15. That means he's 17 ish. And he's only had four fights. He probably had 10, but we're playing the fucking game. Cause we're both trying to get a bit of an advantage for our kid. You know what I'm saying? Get some work in. Yeah, yeah. He would bring Mike and Mike was 15. And they'd be like, who's the kid? Um, they think he's like 22. And he's like, "I yeah, he's 15. He's only had three fights. They're like 15, go fuck yourself. That kid's 22. Don't, don't tell me he's 15 and now you've gone too far. We all play the game. You're going too far this time. There's no way that kid's 15. He goes, he goes and, and Teddy said, he'd be like, all right, fine. He's 18. You want me to say he's 18? He's 18. He goes, thank you. Cause you're insulting my intelligence when you tell me he's 15, I'm telling you he's 18 just so he gets a fight. So Mike would be a 15 year old kid who would fight adults. and And he said he would be so scared in the locker room. He'd be crying. He'd have panic attacks riddled with fear he would throw up he's a kid and he's gonna go in there with a man in a smoker and this is in new york like jamaica queens man where there's like guns there's people smoking weed drinking betting on it and he's a fucking kid gonna go in there fight a man with a beard and he said as scared as he was teddy's like don't worry keep your thoughts on on what we taught you he'd dip his head through the ropes and as soon as he walked into the ring he was a god you let that sit in young man. He destroyed these guys. He hits guys guy so hard. Dudes rushed the ring being like that guy. There's no way that guy only had four fights. And Teddy be like, that's a 15 year old kid. Take your lumps like a man. People were like, get, get, get out of the, you know get out of the gym, whatever they'll come back. Like that's what T- Mike Tyson was. So he talks about his autobiography about like how powerful the mind is and when you use it. And Tyson was an addict who was in and out of rehab and had some major addictions when he became rich and famous right up until like, you know, he's in his thirties. But um, yeah, fascinating story. if you want to talk about like what it could be when you go to that place, it's real, my friend. You should, you could read about it and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of, of it out there. You would love the Mike Tyson autobiography. I would definitely have to check that out, honestly. I, I ripped through these things. So when going back to your story, dude, we had quite the odyssey there, but I love it. (laughs) We did. We We had quite the odyssey, my man. But I love it. Um, So when you found powerlifting, was that what it was with you? Did you have the, like, because now we're going to, let's get into all the things you've done with the charity. And obviously you met your wife and she helped you get sober. But did it start out like that? Like, did you have any idea you'd be
1: doing all the things you did? Or like, were these goals? Or how did this come about? Man, if you had... (laughs) six years ago, if you had asked me like, Hey, you're going to be like one of the, one of the top 198 power lifters and you're going to own a, a a successful children's charity. I'd been like, you fucking lost your mind. (laughs) Um, Dude. I I had none of, none of this was planned. It was um, so once I got, once I got teaching um, uh, basically um, I was trying to get clean uh, this is like a little before I met my wife. Um, some, uh, some room, and I talked about this in a further pod, a podcast. I don't really go super deep into it, but the nutshell was um, I had two friends that um, I basically didn't have anywhere to live. And uh, they were like, dude, like you, you know, you're one of our friends, like we're going to give you a place to stay. So like I paid them rent and I, I crashed on their couch for months, uh, probably, probably close to a year. Um, I got into my master's program. Uh, while I was waiting and not sure what I was going to do with my life. Um, and then, so I got my master's, I started getting stipends for it. So I was like, Hey, I can get an apartment. Why don't you guys come live with me in the apartment and for, for like for me to pay them back. Right. So it's like, they gave me a place and I was like, Hey, I got this great place. Like, let, let me repay that favor. Let me, let me give you something. So like they came and live with me in this apartment above a bank. Um, so when I, when I went in my master's, uh, again, I was trying to be a writer. So the deal was, is they they'd pay for our master's program and give us a stipend. But you had to go through this really ridiculous, like selective interview process for English majors. And um, they were only going to pick like 10 of us. And out of everyone interviewed, the, the 10 people would get the offer of you had to teach two years of freshman English at the college. So basically be like the state college's pack mule, right? Because all the experienced PhD professors, they don't want to teach low-level English. They want to teach like fancy stuff. So they're like, you guys got to teach the boring, like freshman comp and stuff like that. So I was like, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Like I'm not in it to be a teacher, but I guess I'll give this a shot. (laughs) Dude, within like my second semester of teaching it, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like oh I totally just randomly fell into teaching based on a a good deal for a master's program. So I wouldn't be broken student debt. And uh, they selected me and I tried it and dude, I, I loved it. Like, and it was super weird because um you know, I was 24 and the kids taking my class were like 19. <laughs> So it was it was really yeah, weird. Yeah, you,
0: you were like they're like, hey man, what are you doing at the front for so damn long? Yeah, yeah so still, like still it was out? weird
1: because cause then when I told you like I met my wife and she came out and saw us like performing and singing like as a side job at a, like a popular bar downtown, um, like there would be my students in there and be like, oh, oh for sure. what? they'd be like, What's up, Rogers? <laughs> and I was like, All right, this is this is super weird. Oh my god. Um, this long yeah. before Papa Bear. Yeah, long, long. This is, this is this is this is the one you didn't want to know. Um but uh, so that, that worked out and then, um, you know, then I met Justin, I got sober and stuff. And then um, I, worked, I worked a couple of jobs, uh, just random like retail jobs and stuff where I was trying to find my teaching, uh, you know, a place to teach. Cause I mean, despite the, you know, the lack of teachers and like, you would figure a lot of positions were open. Um, it was extremely hard and to find a job. And even though I had my master's degree all the places you had to teach that weren't a community college wanted you to have a continuing teaching license. So like in a way, if you have your master's, you're like overqualified to be a teacher. So you have to backtrack and get a teaching license. Oh, wow. So uh, I found a program (laughs) called D3TP for university of Delaware. um, That like fast track teachers for a license. If you had your master's done already. So I could teach, while getting like observed by college professors and be taking seminar classes while I was teaching my first year at a high school.
0: This is the perfect setup for you. To so get it in. was,
1: it, I would not say it was perfect. It's pretty wild. Uh, it was pretty That's wild.
0: <laughs> Yo, yeah, it's pretty stressful. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're like getting graded for college while you're trying your first job as a teacher. And you're like, uh, it's a little stressful right now, but you're killing several birds in one stone. Though, you, right? you are, but you were just waiting for the end of every class period and be like, yeah. So, uh, you suck. You suck. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> you suck. You doing <laughs> so you're not good at this. Um, so I did that. And like uh, my first year teaching, I taught strength and fitness. Uh, so I was the weight room coordinator right off the bat. And then, um, I was also teaching 10th grade English and I absolutely fell in love with it, man. It was like the first year we did like Frankenstein and like we did Beowulf and like, dude, I just fell in love with it. I loved being with the kids. Like the kids made me so happy. And it was like, so cool to like see kids who were like really struggling to read and just like figure out, it was so wild. It was just like, you get to watch them figure things out for like the mm. first time. And 10th grade is one of those grades where it's like, they're not ninth grade. So they're not like super, super shy yet. Cause it's their first year of the high school, but 10th grade is where they're like really starting to figure out like who they are. So mm. they're at a very, very like multiple age. So not only are you like a teacher, but you're really teaching them basically how to not be shitheads you're you're yeah you're right it's an
0: age that like we all remember look at their teachers i could barely remember from like childhood childhood but around that around 15 ish 14 15 ish it? yeah Yeah, around 15 15. 14 15 you you can remember 14 15 and you're not a child and, but you're not an adult either, but you're right in between. You're, and if you're- You are moldable, man. You are like, you play at that point. <laughs> you were right on that sweet spot the moment. Yeah. You're right on the sweet spot. If you get somebody at that point, you could direct, well, that's like around the Mike Tyson age where you direct them one way or the other. You know, you went up like Mike Tyson's boy homicide who turned into a hitman, or you end up, you know, a whole different path where, yeah, you could, it's a cool age to catch him in. And now, so when you, when you're doing this, how do they see you? Because you—I know, don't remember a teacher like
1: you when I was in high school. My no, man. <laughs> I, I the, same page was like they didn't make English teachers like you when I was in high school. Um, so, like most of the kids, like um, it was so funny because, like, my first year, like all the kids were like, "Why is this guy like out of jail teaching our English class?" <laughs> yes, and uh, <laughs> they like, "Is this guy going to physically
0: assault me later?" Right. Right. So we're going to have a I think, I
1: think my and of course they're tenth graders, so they're like super gullible. So I think even my first year, I was like, hey, I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna lay this out on Front Street with you guys. Um this is my community service project. And I had I had, dude, I probably had like 60 kids believe that for a solid half of the 10th grade year. Cause you're like, oh shit, that was
0: supposed to be a joke. Nobody laughed, and now I got parents calling me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, and I had fun and like I always did really like. Of course, I'd have looks at me and stuff, uh, being heavily tattooed and stuff, um, you know, sure, at parent teacher conferences and at like parent meet and greet days and stuff at the school. But like, I I always did well with parents. I always got along well with parents. Um, they enjoyed the fact that I was very like very real and straightforward. Like, and I've always been that way. Um, and I mean, I still enjoy that. But like, I think the big thing that changed for me though was like, and I, I haven't really talked about this a lot. Um, so when I started getting closer with the kids, and of course, like I told you a lot of them started calling me pops and stuff. Um, I, had, uh, I had a couple kids um, that I grew really close with, kids who didn't have dads. Um, and one in particular, um, he, his dad um, was an alcoholic. Uh, and I, I felt, you know, I really felt for him. He, he did drugs, like I, I really felt for the kid Um, I met the kid's mom, wonderful woman. She's a nurse, um, works very, very hard. He has a sister. And um, he started lifting weights with me with one of his friends. We were having uh, basically some renovations done to the weight room. I had gotten a weight room grant with the principal the year previous. So they were redoing the high school weight room. I had basically done like a schematic for the middle school and we moved all the high school equipment that was worth salvaging over to the middle school while they were building this new one. So we were working out at like a public gym that I had scored like, "Hey, we'll we'll let you and your kids work out for like X amount," um, and they were really nice to us. So it was it was about ten minutes from the high school, so it was like a like a powerhouse type gym. And so like I, I bonded with a lot of kids that summer because we were all meeting at a public place and there was like twenty of us and off and on and it was fun. But um, so this this one kid in particular, named his name's uh, Christian Chandler, um you know, me and him got exceptionally close. And uh, his mom really, really trusted me and really, like, enjoyed me being around him and like being that kind of father, fatherly influence. And uh, he started spending the nights at my house. So obviously, that's extremely frowned upon. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's funny, because I talked to I shared an office, even still nowadays with our gym teacher, and he, he always told me a story about when he started teaching that I'll never forget. He said he had this one kid um, who never had clothes, who never had a ride to school and he was on the football team. And Jeff, uh, Jeff, my uh, gym teacher, he said, "Um, you know, I made this kid an offer. I said, hey, I'm gonna give you my cell phone number. I'm not allowed to do this. Don't break this trust circle, right? And I'm gonna give you a ride every day to school, but I'm gonna need you to be at the door with your backpack, ready to learn and your shit in your hand and said it to him just like that like just a mm. so heart and a lot a lot of what the kids need so he drove this kid like every day to school like on his way to work so he was like hey meet me after school I'll drive you home no exceptions if you don't show up I won't do this for you again mm. very hard on the kid but like the kid didn't take it for granted right structure and discipline that he might not have had though right right exactly feels like safety exactly
0: discipline feels like safety exactly
1: so he did this for this kid and jeff told me that was like he's older than me so he said that was probably like almost seven or eight years ago uh this kid contacted him on facebook like last year and was like hey i've been searching for you forever and I just wanted to reach out and say to you, you fucking changed my life. And that was like all it took, you know, it was like, at, at what edge does do what, at what place do you stop being a teacher? And like, you're so much more of that to a kid. So like, I really thought about that and it changed a lot of things for me. And I, I started having this kid stay the weekends at my house. Like he would go to the gym and train with me. Like he would sleep on my couch. Like you're turning you know, into his, you're turning you're turning into a father figure for sure. Yeah. He he called my wife mom.
0: Oh wow. Like he had
1: a mom that was a wonderful woman, but he called Jess like his second mom. Like he he called her mom too or like something funny like that. But like and you know we'd go out to eat and it was weird for me because it was like the first time I ever felt like you know me and Jess don't have kids but it was like it was like the first time like I, I felt like a dad. I was like shit like this is it's weird the feelings you start to feel towards like a younger individual. Cause you're like, this is, this is what it must like to sort of be a dad, like to sort of, you know, be that for somebody. And, you know, and he, his mom would talk to me and text me and be like, Hey, is it, is it okay if, if Christian comes to camp, they called it camp Rogers, which was like going to my house for the weekend and uh, dude, he, and then he started competing. So then he started coming to competitions with me and competing at like the age of 15 and I was like, fuck, dude, like if I ever had a kid, like this was it. And then, like when we were at competitions, like he'd be watching me and be like, "Yo, that's that's my dad. Like, and I, dude, it just, and honestly just fucking changed everything for me. Um, yeah, sorry, go on. So uh, me and another teacher, his name's Joe Pauline and I will forever be grateful for this man. Um, we're still very close friends. He comes and works out on my gym now. Um, me and him started paying for meats out of pocket. Like, so we, we were getting groups of like, you know, six, 10 kids together, going to USPA, going to RPS meets, RPS sometimes because it was a little cheaper because we didn't have membership fees. I mean, not that USPA is expensive, but it's like when you had that many fucking kids, like, dude, it's expensive. It gets bigger. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, have you ever tried to feed an army of 15 year olds? Like, holy shit, <laughs> yeah. you got a house at home. <laughs> yeah. Like we'd come in. I remember this one meet, uh, we just came into the hotel furious because there was just a fucking trash bag overflowed with like food wrappers and shit just leaking out onto the floor <laughs> and i'm like how much do these little motherfuckers eat like oh, oh dude, my god you can't feed a 15 year old boy dude, I mean, you it, can't it's, it's just it's I, a never-ending pit man there are some 15
0: year old boys who are like 200 pound freaking monsters and, and yeah. they eat like their metabolism
1: through the roof, yeah and like a growing, dog. yeah <laughs> So me and Pauline would take these kids to this meet. And this was long before the foundation. Like, we were doing this all out of our pockets. We had a couple friends donate, like, used sleeves and belts. And, like, I had some friends hook me up with some singlets. So we we got all the kids, like, hand-me-downs and stuff. And the kids, like, they didn't give a shit. Like, they loved every minute of it. Um, so one day we were in the weight room. And uh, we we had talked about, like, Hey, you know, like the school doesn't really we don't we don't get any money from the school. Like no one gave a fuck about us, um, but but all the kids knew that I gave a fuck, and that was all that mattered to them. And so we were like, hey, you know, let's let's do something cool for us. Like you know, everyone does T-shirts. Let's let's get some headbands for the powerlifting club. Like all the kids love the sweatbands and stuff. So I talked to Junk. I made a design. We got a custom thing going for Junk, like twenty headbands or something. And uh, so we're in the weight room. And this is after the, the things that come in. And uh, this this kid, this basketball player comes in and sees me with all the powerlifting kids and all these kids wearing these matching headbands, right? Like and Cobra Kai,
0: for God's sake. Yeah, yeah.
1: He goes, uh, yo, man, like, why do you have that on? You look stupid. And uh, at the time, I was wearing sweatbands quite a bit too. Um, but uh, the kid goes, "Um, his name is Brian. He goes, what do you mean? This is my headband. This, this is my club headband. We're in the club. This is the club headband. <laughs> and uh, he gets in the rack. He gets all fired up. He's screaming and yelling. And it's because the kids mimicked what I did back then. Like, I was a super intense lifter, And they mimicked what they saw. Like, they loved it when I'd get freaked out and get intense. And kids are, oh, yeah. Like, they get wild. And they loved it. And uh, he comes out of the rack after hitting, like, a squat PR, right? Kid's, like, 14. He's, like, looks right at that basketball kid and goes, that's why I wear that headband. That's Damn. What I <laughs> there was more to it because he looks over at me and he's like because um, that's my dad and Ooh. he wears this headband and when i wear this headband i feel like i'm him hmm. and dude like i just i lost my shit man like you can't you can't replace that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it was once you know that stuff started happening and i was like yo like this this has to become something like you can't just be like, Oh, I did some headbands or Oh, I did some t-shirts for some kids. Like, it's gotta be more than that. I got to do this for more than just one or two kids. Like it's gotta be a fuckload of kids, like as many as possible. And then, um, that summer after me and Joe had like taken some kids, some more meets, um, I went to nationals that year. And right before we left for nationals for 2019 nationals in Ohio, um, I filed for the 501c3 to officially become a state charity and a federal, state, uh, federal charity. And uh, I had got it by the time I got back, but like, it was so wild because like, I knew, I knew it was in process, like I knew it was going on. And I was working with a wonderful lady named uh, Mallory Hammond who, who sets up nonprofits for like a business. Like she's very good at it, very helpful. Um, but the whole time I'm at 2019 nationals, USPA, like these kids are all at each other's house. Like they'd all gathered at one house on a big screen and they were streaming the YouTube, the USP YouTube, watching me and my buddy James like on on the YouTube and they're WhatsApping me in the group chat, like the barbell group chat from the school, like while I'm behind the curtain. So they're all like, Oh, do this attempt, do this attempt. Like all my kids are super fucking hype and sending me pictures of all of them together. And of course I'm behind the thing, just like crying my eyes out, losing my shit. Cause I'm looking at pictures of my kids that are like, all together, like just to watch me. And um, dude, they sent me this video of them all, like uh, everyone in the room's like freaking out. And uh, they watched my um, my final deadlift and uh, I, I won uh, 2019 nationals at 198. And at the time it had tied um, the top 10 of all time for 198 total wise. Um, Garrett actually out, uh, I outwilked Garrett by like 0. 0.3. It was something super close, but they told me because, um, Garrett had got there before me that we were tied for top 10. I wasn't number nine and he was number 10. So me and him love to love to talk shit on each other about that. And, uh, that was actually where I met Garrett for the first time. He wasn't competing. He was watching me compete with, I mean, he wasn't there for me, but he was there and saw it. But, um, you know, and all my kids were like, dude, like, you know, we're so proud of you, like and all you do for us. And the whole time, like I, I knew, like I was like, fuck dude, I'm gonna get home and we're gonna have a foundation. And it's like all this shit we used to talk about and like we just was just words, it's like all oh, gonna become a real thing. And now flash forward, you know, two years later, um, you know, I have an extremely successful children's charity. We've helped donate thousands and thousands of dollars and clothes to kids and back to school and all the shit that I, I we had said and just talked about in a fucking broken down weight room you know it's all it's all so fucking real and tangible now like you can put your hands on it you can see the fucking differences mm. and if you had told me that you know six years ago that this wouldn't be what I was doing you know with the ultimate goal of opening like a facility where kids with, from broken homes and stuff can come train for free. can come, you know, find that, that piece that, that piece that they need to feel whole. Like all these other kids did with me when I started this, like that's always been the goal, man. I stopped, I stopped lifting for me a long fucking time ago.
0: You you ever think, I don't know if you ever think about, um, you know, we often later on life, try to become the people that we needed when we were younger. And you, coincidentally, working with thirteen to fourteen year olds right around the time when you needed that, and started getting started getting bad for you, started picking up your addiction as a teen, and you, if you would have got somebody like yourself at that point in time, you know, you, it's almost like when you meet somebody and you think they need you. It's almost like trying, it's that you, you have become the person that you needed when you were around that age. If you were there and you got a hold of yourself at 13, 14, and you could sit down with 13, 14 year old Travis and tell him, you know, and be that person that he needed and be that father figure and be that guy, you know, with the headbands and crashing my couch. You need me reach out. Here's my cell phone. and, And the whole nine, it's like, you're saving yourself only like, you know, that's, that's what, these patterns happen. And it's wild that in terms of um, all the different age groups that you could have ended up teaching for 13, 14, that is exactly when you could curve it back the other way and save some kids. You know, that is exactly when, and the fact that it happened to you in a point in time with powerlifting, where powerlifting saved you and, and gave you something to dive into And now you're using powerlifting and it, man, the story is crazy wild how, how this is all unfolded for you. Like, this isn't just, this doesn't sound like just, you know, this, this is, this is all falling into place, my friend.
1: It's really you think about that? Have you thought about that? I think about that a lot. Um, And I mean, a lot of people, like I've talked to them, it was really funny because there was a, there's an article on uh, on Bar Bend, right, that came out about me. And it was just like a, one of those lifter recap articles. And uh, at the time, I was putting up some pretty big sleeve PR. So like people started paying attention to my training. And uh, one of the funniest parts of the, about the article was it was like talking about like, my like competition history and stuff. But one of them was like, although he posts very morbid captions roger seems to be positively progressing and i was dying because like i was like yeah i mean i guess as an english teacher and like a, a writer and poet like i do post some weird shit but um again it was like that thing like you know i i write what i think not how i would normally speak to someone but um so as much as that affects me like so my kids um one of my other kids that stayed at my house all the time, uh, his name's Cam, he actually came home from military this weekend. So uh, it's always so hard when I see my kids and they're like, they're like really grown up. So like he, he, he came to the new gym, you know, we had talked and it sucks because about the military releases, like, even if they put in for military, they really don't know if they got it till like a day or two before they're supposed to leave. They're like, oh, by the way, you're going home for break. And then it's like, oh shit. So they, they get hit with all these plans but one of his plans was like he's like dude i gotta come see you at your new gym and like so we're talking and like he's just like you know i remember you know when you didn't have a gym and you didn't have the old cave in the barn because the old cave was a barn now it's a real gym but the whole cave was a fucking like a uh, renovated chicken coop dude like super backwoods delaware shit um but uh he goes, dude, do you remember when we were sitting in this, uh, it was uh, like another big CrossFit box. They didn't have AC. It was hot as fuck, dude. Oh, my God. We'd be wrapping our knees in like 100 degree weather. You'd be like soaking before you even got to the fucking rack. Um, he goes, do you remember when we were just like flat out like laying in the in the fucking, on the fucking horse mats in this place, just sweating our asses off, talking about all the all the fucking shit we do in a couple years? do you remember that? And I was like, of course I remember that dude. Like I think about it all the fucking time. And he was like, bro, do you ever just like, this is him talking to me. He's like, do you ever just like look around at all your shit and be like, we used to talk about this. Like we used to think about it. We used to talk about it and have conversations about what we would do and what we wouldn't do if we had our own and this and that. And he's like, all this shit you ever fucking said to me came true. Everything you said you were going to do about being a, one of the best at 198, whether it having a gym, whether providing for other kids, he said all the fucking shit you ever said to me came true. And he said, I could never say that for another fucking adult I've met in my entire life. Huh. So, and it makes you think like how many, how many kids need that adult in their life? Like, not just as a parent, but one that fucking tells the truth, the one that's, you know, one of their word, right? If I tell you I'm going to do something for you, if I tell you I'm going to help you, like, I'm going to do it. And that, I mean, that impacts me a lot, man, because, like, when I see him, it's so hard to put into words how I feel when I see him, because I'm like, dude, you're, like, almost 20 now. You're, like, so fucking grown, and he looks like a grown-ass man, and he's jacked as shit. In the Marines, and I'm just like—that's humbling too. When
0: you meet a kid who's all of a sudden he's bigger than you as an adult, you like, "Oh my god, gosh. yeah, he's fucking it's humbling." Ill. I don't, I don't know. I don't think I like it. It hurts my
1: ego. He walked in and immediately took off his shirt and was like flexing in the new mirrors we had just hung last week. And I'm like, dude, put that shit back on. You're embarrassing me. I was like, you're bigger it's, than me now. I was like,
0: It's one of those deals. On. When you were a kid, you were the father figure. When he comes in now, if something jumped off, you'd be like, could you protect me, sir? Yeah, I was like, bro, I'm, <laughs> I'm too like, old for this. Like, I'm too old for man. I don't like this.
1: Sore, I don't I don't like this. this. I'm going to need you to handle stuff with the old man. <laughs> right. But I mean, like... When, just, when, when your when, kids come home and they tell you just like how appreciative they are of like everything you do. And it's like, it's not like you do it for the appreciation, but the fact that like, they can recognize that, like, that means what you did meant something. And that's, that's like all it needed for me. For sure you do need, I mean, you don't
0: do it for the recognition, but the recognition lets you know you've done something, which is funny to say because But when you, when you go through life, sometimes you don't know if you're impacting people. It sounds like it's like the fucking pretty girl who doesn't know she's pretty. You don't know some people like Travis, of course, but you'd be like, I don't know, am I doing good? Am I, there's something you don't necessarily know sometimes. That's why they say, if you're feeling certain ways, appreciative towards someone, fucking tell the person because you assume they know, you assume they know but they don't, man, if you don't pull them aside and be like, you know what you did when I was young, how I could have went certain ways and you helped me out. You know how much you helped me out. And the person might have been like, really? And it's like, yes, man. You people don't know. So yeah, I, I get it, where it's like, not that I'm chasing recognition, but it feels good to have.
1: It dog, it's it makes you human. Yeah. But and the thing with that is too, like, uh, it's funny you mention that because I I had somebody like get on me like, I mean, of course you're going to have your internet trolls and bullshit, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a little different between like, you get a lifting internet troll and then you get somebody trying to like, fuck with your, your you like personal your stuff on business and like the charity and stuff. So like, I had some guy that was like, um, I mean, not that I usually pay attention to shit like this, but like, it, it was a good point. And I thought I made it very clear the way I talked back to him about it. It was like, um, he was like, you know, if you're, if you're so just and so, doing this for not attention and things like that like why do you always post like paypal receipts and stuff like that like you know why do you always show money and i told him i was like dude you know i i really wish i didn't have to do that but in this day and age like fucking evidence is everything man what
0: do you mean by people receipts? Uh, like 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 if
1: all right so like if i sent like you know, a check off to something or I, I paid for shirts for like all this big donation and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like proof that the the funds from the foundation are going to what I'm saying. Oh, to-
0: gotcha, gotcha.
1: So I had somebody get on me about it. He's like, why do you feel like you always need to post that? Like, don't you think that's very like, you're trying to get attention and stuff? I said, no, sir. Like everything now is evidence. Like I want people to see where that money is going. I want people to see receipts because there's so many fucking crooked charities and shit out there, you know, a lot of them aren't on set percentage regulations So it's like you could still do 90 10 and still be considered a nonprofit charity. I could keep 90% of what I make and give back 10 and be a non-profit.
0: Oh okay I didn't know that.
1: So yeah, yeah. And a lot of them don't have set percentages. So um or they or they do have ones and they don't make them public. Right. So I really try to like you know, make sure people see that. Cause like, I care about my supporters. I care about people who know me as a referee, as a competitor, as a teacher. Like I want people to see that. Like when they, when they place their money with the, with our charity, like that shit's going to fucking help people. Like it should be. I, I don't see how anyone could
0: like, I get it on Instagram posts. You don't get a good read on Instagram or, or any of the social media like that. Very tough to get a read on somebody. I didn't know you would be like this when I had you on. I had no freaking idea. If someone sat down and listened to this podcast and didn't think you heard your story and how you talk about it and didn't think you were sincere, they're fucking as, as cynical as they come and you don't even need to address them. But you could tell if somebody's like sincere, someone comes on with a sales pitch and it's like, hey, let me tell you about how great a guy I am, and where your money can go to. Yeah, like yeah. that is not. You could tell, man. That's not what the conversation is. Look at if if we, you know, it's funny. I'm glad you said how you look when you said you're describing being a teacher. And it's like, look at if you see me come in here, obviously a jacked up, tatted up dude, beard. Um, you know, if you didn't say that, if someone's just hearing the audio, and we, and this is an audio podcast, I might throw some clips on there, but it's audio. Nobody would listen to you and be able to picture you when you, they see the instagram post you your shirt off lifting and whatnot like that's why these podcasts are important man and it'd be crazy it's i bet you guys like Garrett, who initially had some back and forth thought it was another meathead that he's that he usually gets his back and forth with he'll listen to a podcast like this and be like god damn it uh, <laughs> you feel bad if you're like this was the guy i was having a sporting rivalry with like you it's it's the quintessential. If you don't, you if you don't don't judge a book by its cover. Dive in a little deeper, and some people will be unfortunately cynical. I'm not talking about Garrett now. I'm talking about um, this other gentleman, cynical in terms of, you know, how you carry yourself, where things are going, whatever. Even myself, me, I would have been like, I would have been like Garrett if I saw this and just like um, thought you were a regular, weightlifter, powerlifter, and just doing your thing and not known how many layers you bring to the table in how like, if you talk shit with a guy like you, if someone actually cut through and hit something and hurt you, it'd be like, if they listen to this, they'd be like, fuck me, I would feel like a total dick. I'd be mean, like, oh my God, I can't believe. Sometimes it's it's like you're driving in a car road rage where you don't get to see someone face to face. And people are like, you don't get them see face to face, so you're more brave. You know what, they actually did studies. It's not that you're a coward or lack bravery. It's more the human aspect. Fire something off at someone. And when you see them face to face, see that they're human, just like you or anyone in your life and watch what it does to them. That's what you fucking did to somebody. Now deal with that. You won't, because you'll feel bad. Not because of physical confrontation, because you're like, fuck me, I I, I feel like a dick now.
1: It's very easy to dehumanize someone without a name in the face.
0: There it is, man, it's dehumanized. It's Papa Bear Rogers who just smashing weights, but you don't think like, do you really wanna ruin this guy's day? Like I'm using you because I think anyone who heard this would be telling themselves, fuck yeah, that'd be tough. But almost anybody's like that, where it's like, just think about it. You know, yes, you're never gonna see this person in real life, so there's no physical consequences, but beyond that, how do you feel about yourself if this person actually did read the post, walk away and and think that they were a shitty person for something you
1: said or made them question themselves. So it's really funny you said that. So just a a quick like little blip story. So that last meet I just did, right? Um, There was a smoothie king nearby, right? And I haven't had a smoothie in forever, man. And they do the deck out ones that are like, the grape with the layers and I was like bro I'm totally gonna get like the best grape smoothie like I was super hype on it this was right after it was the whole day of the refeed right so we're all trying to gain weight back so I'm like I'm gonna hit the smoothie up so me and uh another guy were competing and then like a couple of our friends that were coming to handle us we went as like a group um all the boys were in there it's like me and three other three or four other ones we're all in there getting smoothies right and the and the the two wives um or not two wives, it was one of the friends and the wife of one of the lifters was outside. Well, the, it's a smoothie king. So all the glass was like see-through, right? So like the people are sitting out in the, on the tables with the umbrellas could see into the shop, right? I wasn't wearing a hat either. Um, and I was wearing a t-shirt. So you could see like, I think I was wearing shorts too. So you could see all my leg tattoos, my sleeves. Um, I have most of my head tattooed as well. Oh so like, my. and I just had a, a haircut. So like they were super, super duper visible. Um, I guess this, this English lady, see, now, <laughs> now I'm really glad you're not English because I could have said Canadian try to make you feel bad. Um, so <laughs> she's, uh, so she's, nice. <laughs> she's looking through the glass and she's talking to her, her, her husband or boyfriend or something. And uh, keep in mind, our, our, our two girls that were with this group are also outside, very close in earshot with them. And this lady goes, how fucking stupid is he? And she's just going off to her friend about like, I don't understand why you would do that to your body. It's so fucking ugly. I bet he doesn't even do anything. And like going on and on and on. So our friend's wife is listening to this whole thing. And they're both just like fucking staring at each other. And they're like, oh my God, if Travis could only hear this woman right now. So I get outside and keep, and uh, one of the girls tells me, and she's like, um, so you see that, that older English lady over there? How old are we talking? dude i i would say like upper 50s uh Over. lower 60s so sure. like i mean twice my age oh yeah um and of course you know they have that generational gap but it was just going on and on. And then, so this, of course we didn't confront her or say anything because I'm not that kind of person. I'm not gonna go up and yell at some old English lady about a conversation I hear about. You prove her right when you do that. You yeah, prove yeah right. exactly. But it totally sparked a good conversation between all of us as we walked back to the car. Right. So we're talking, they're like, you know, what would this, what would, what would this woman say? You know, if she had found out you were a 10th grade teacher, if you were a charity owner, if you fucking took in kids and took care of all these kids like what would she what would she have to fucking say about you then and it it just makes me laugh like thinking about what you're saying because um I I get I even on your like your post man I'll get like dumb people being like oh you should get another tattoo you clown or like some dumb shit like that like always and it's just it's always so funny because like you know I I get the typical reactions like I'll get the the middle aged mom like pulling her, pulling her kid close when I'm walking down the aisle to pick up a fucking loaf of bread. Like I'm going to snatch him up and eat his soul or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like eat his soul. Yeah. And I I always, I always giggle and laugh because I'm like, dude, like I'm a teacher. Like they have no idea. And it's so hilarious because I'm like, I I, I would say I'm a pretty giving person. And I'm just like, these people have no idea because they're just judging me because of like, all these tattoos. And like, you know, I have number tattoos on me. I have stuff like that. So like people automatically assume like, you know, gang affiliation and shit like that. But I'm like, dude, you know what these fucking numbers are? More than half the numbers on my body are fucking totals. <sighs> like on my hand, I have, I have 1665. That was my first international elite total at 181. Right? I have 18 on my fingers the first time I broke 1800 oh right and then I have 1901 on my neck which is the one I just set because I've been trying to break 19 for over two years and people are
0: telling themselves like I think that's some satanic
1: shit I think I I read that before I used to joke with kids they were like Mr. Rogers what's the 18 on your on your hands for I was like if you got to ask me again I'm gonna make it 19 (laughs) (laughs) and kids would like lose their shit they're like oh i'm sorry man i'm sorry (laughs) but but like it's so funny because like i didn't have uh like really you know quote unquote like uh job stopper tattoos they call them before i had tenure at the high school so once you have tenure at the high school you've basically been observed uh, a lot of uh you know a big amount of times um a big amount of times. That was such great English from an English teacher. Like I said, I don't, I don't talk how. You I also think. said super duper, which I loved. I mean, dude, that's duper. my
0: favorite. It's, it's
1: excusable though. Super duper. Why you know can't something be super I knew, duper?
0: I knew exactly what you meant when you said it. Yeah. it you know, people because it sounds like a kid saying you know super duper. Hey, dude, I but, work with kids. Kids understand super right. duper. But let me tell you something. Even as an adult, you say super duper. I know where we're going. That's yeah. serious business. That's
1: serious, That's serious business, Serious business, man. That's serious business. But, but yeah, uh, what you're saying tenure. Um, so, I had, so I got tenure. So I've been observed quite a few amount of times, had very high ratings on like your D-pass and stuff to qualify as a teacher for your continuing teaching license, blah, blah, blah. Basically, that means you can do your job very well and they leave you alone. They only observe you like once a year instead of a couple times. You don't get reviewed and stuff because they know you're good. So I didn't get any quote-unquote job stoppers until I had tenure so I didn't do my hands and I didn't do my neck and of course I definitely didn't do my head so like Mm -hmm. if I wore to if I wore a collared shirt with a tie you couldn't see any of my tattoos um but then once I had that I was like well this is my career now I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna go ahead and blast my fingers and stuff what happens though do they say anything now can they because I mean I get looks and stuff still but like basically I'm grandfathered in and once you have tenure I mean they can't really, that would technically be discrimination. They would have a lawsuit on their hands. What if you left that school and it was a different, if you ended up moving, whatever, can, are
0: you like, fuck me? I don't know if I can move now. I can't.
1: Well, I mean, I would, I, if I did leave the high school, I would definitely teach at a community college, or I'd go back and get my PhD and teach at a college college. Oh, gotcha.
0: Yeah. that was. Always,
1: that's always been the plan, honestly. So basically the reason I'm teaching at the high school I am now, one of the deals for that fast track teaching license program I told you about was you had to teach, for a minimum of two years at a high need school district, and mine's like as high as needs as you can get. That was perfect for you though. Everything yeah, it was. Done... It actually ended up being, you know, just what I needed to want to do the foundation charity. So I mean, right. I guess everything does happen for a reason. So you want to end up working with a little older then, right into. <laughs> but see i I feel like the charity's been developed so much i'm really good at helping kids around the you know the 15 year old age like that age but i think for me as a career Mm -hmm. yes i still want to work with that age for the foundation Mm -hmm. which is going to be big enough for where i can eventually like hire people and stuff um but for career choice uh i am looking more at college um i teach some academic which is sort of like honors english 10 um it's the conversation level man i miss i miss having super intellectual conversations like we did in college like i love diving in and really analyzing literature and looking at things through different lenses and like discussing theory on literature and of course you don't get any of that in 10th grade 10th grade's like dude i love you man i really need you to put your name on this pen this paper and try today like you <laughs> yeah, need to yeah. I mean? and then they'll be like Man, man, I'm not reading nothing today. I'm like, come on man, I'm, I'll, I'll read it to you. Let's let's do this together. Man, you can't tell me what to do. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be a good day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a bit of that. What yeah. is it? In terms of literature, who who was your top 3 favorite authors of all time? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh man. Um, my favorite one in college and still today, Brett Easton Ellis, man. Uh okay. wrote American Psycho. Oh, okay. Glamorama, um, okay. dude. Okay, hang on a second, American
0: Psycho, I'm glad you said this. The, what's the deal with that? Was that all in his head? Was that real? Was he actually killing people? Or was that what he wanted to do and it was all in
1: his head and he wasn't, I've heard both. I thought he was really killing people. I think I think it's really more of how you look at the internalization of like what he's talking about. So I think, me personally, again, just my two cents on the conversation, Sure. Um, I would think, I think he's not killing people. I really do. I think, and I think the, I personally would classify, um, I would classify the narrator as unreliable to the point where I, it's not as prominent as like madman type, unreliable narrator like um let me just give you a classic example think like um edgar Allan poe the telltale heart right we start the story in an asylum the guy's like well if i was crazy i wouldn't be able to tell you this like he's trying to convince you the whole time in that story he's not crazy right so you have Mm -hmm. a madman unreliable narrator where you have to uncover as the as the audience and reader whether or not that person is deemed insane or non-insane right Mm -hmm and you have to either take their word for it or investigate yourself and blah 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 unfold the answer. In American psycho it is like super over the top version of that and i don't think i think he's trying to convince you of something but they're not explicitly saying it. Like for example, he doesn't break the fourth wall. I don't think that i recall that's in that I don't book. think so. I haven't seen Like it. he doesn't ever you know say you and relate directly to the reader like a playwright would be like on stage speaking to the audience like which telltale heart does and that's why i use that example i don't think he explicitly uses that but i still think that he is an unreliable narrator i still think he's under the madman classification because he's not under classification of liar like he's not directly lying to you on purpose i don't think he knows as a narrator so therefore wow. you don't know as an, a reader. So I think you're still put in the same debacle of making that decision for yourself based on evidence throughout the book.
0: What are a couple other well-known ones, well-known ones like that?
1: What, like were, unreliable
0: narrators? Yeah, where you think the story wasn't actually what we think it was.
1: Um, let's see, tells her heart. Edgar Allan Poe has a, quite a few unreliable narrators, like especially for 10th to 12th. That's ones I typically choose because they're most relatable. But then you have ones like, uh, even in classic movies, like, um, have you ever seen The Sandlot? Of course, you've seen The Sandlot, yeah, yeah, like with the little kids and they hit the, the ball or the fence and the big bad dog, right? But it's, um, so another classification of that I think it's called a naive or naive, almost like a naive. Um, Where that type of narrator isn't specifically lying to you as an audience member, but they are telling you the facts looking back and because of their immaturity, make it unsure as reliable. For example, if you have an adult narrator telling the story as a kid, like the Sandlot, right? are those events, are they as, or are they fictionalized because of a kid's point of view? Because like, think about it when you're a kid, you hype everything up and it's real big. So it's like, is that narrator really narrating something real? Or are they narrating it as they see it as a child looking back on it? Mm-hmm. So that would be a different type of unreliable narrator. But, um, another, well, favorite book I have, um, the Virgin suicides. Um, Jeffrey Eugendis, the something like that. Those like were there. movies? Were those movies? It was made into a movie. It had Pearson Dunst in it. That's the only reason I don't like it. Pearson Dunst. Yeah, I, think it. I think I, I think I, I don't know if I've seen it, but I know um, it was a movie. And that's a good example of the one I'm telling you about the, uh, the naive narrators. Cause it's told through the narration of like five young boys in the neighborhood. Absolutely incredible book. And really, actually really, really good movie too. It's haunting, man. Like the way they mm. describe things super choppy poetic like it's one of those movies when you get done watching it you don't know what to do with yourself like you ever had those movies where they were like they hit you on a different level and then when you got done you're like do i do do i just go to bed now like what, what do i i feel strange I've, like what do i do I've, i have for sure had those experiences no you're not yeah. going to bed if it's
0: if it's something sometimes i have to research it and be like i gotta go online now i have to was there a book made i love it when some of them are adaptations from like, oh fuck, what about like, I just watched one that was a, not just, but this year, The Lighthouse.
1: We watched that real recently. Oh my what God. What the hell it was, was it? I don't even
0: know what it was. What, it was what crazy. We...
1: It was crazy. Like
0: it was it's crazy. stuff like that, where you watch it and you're like, I, you know, like the filmmaking of it, like it, there's, okay, there's a certain aspect where even if you, if the movie itself was like entertaining in the classical sense, but the filmmaking of it and story writing and all that was so deep, you're like, it makes you super think and analyze. What did I watch?
1: What are we like, looking at here? What was the well really it does, And it's like, when you watch it, you're like, how confused were the writers and filmmakers while they were filming this? Like, they don't even know what's going on.
0: And that, that was made that there was a movie in the 60s. And I think a book that was from a long time ago written about it. Um, I, I have no idea. I still don't
1: know what the hell I watched. That. It was so strange because of the, um, like the comedy added into it. Did you notice that? Like, it was like, really creepy and haunting but at the same time like when they had um god why i'm drawing a blank right now what's the actor's name the one who william Defoe like, or yes the- and he's like just like rolling in the bed and farting and stuff like as an old sea captain and it was like it was so creepy but then he just like fart and it would make you laugh and like bring you back to reality i was like why did they place that in this movie
0: i wanted to ask you a question i don't know if i should spoil it Nah, whatever we'll leave it i don't know what it was so at the end the end scene i'm like what the fudge but
1: yeah. whatever it was a strange movie another movie um if you really want to if you're into watching movies and you want to feel super strange about yourself afterwards um Start go check mind. out um midsummer what's that about um it's the by the same director he's a new director i think it's a i think it's a he um he also directed uh hereditary they're both horror movies but I wouldn't classify them as full blown horror. Like, um, they, they are much more into the realm of like suspenseful and like mind bending. Mm. Um, and Midsummer's like a cult and it's really creepy and it has a big bear in it. So I was like, I got to watch this. And then, um, it freaked me out. It was one of the ones where I, I asked my wife, I was like, Hey, it's, it's October. What horror movies are we going to watch? Cause we're both horror movie buffs. And, uh, I was like, let's watch Midsummer night. And she was like, do we have to, Oh wow. Like, it's a really good movie, but it just it's a lot on you, man. It's a lot
0: on I'm going to check this out, dude, cuz I want to do a couple of horror movies cuz yeah, I'm, I I'm not dude when it comes to Halloween and, and every like it's getting darker, a little sooner, the yeah. leaves are all dying around you and you're like, "Oh hell yeah, we got to break into a couple." Uh, right?
1: When this when this is over, I'll, I'll have to send you like a list of five that are Send like, me top 5. Top. Yeah, I'll send, send you top, top 5 to watch.
0: Top 5, man, I'm all in. Um we're closing it. Okay. We're at like two and a half hours here. I want to Aren't cover a really couple of things. Wild, yeah, huh? no dog, we, we, we crushed it. Uh, but that's how it goes, man. People, when they come on, sometimes are like, are we going to be able, I don't know how long we're going to talk. I'm like, trust me, we'll, we'll probably end up talking. We'll end up talking. Talk. We'll, we'll end up talk. the, the, the bigger task is cutting it after a while because we'll end up talking. Um, one thing, a couple things I want to ask you real quick, though, before we let you go. A, sure. where do you see your charity going? And how do people obviously get a hold of this charity if they want to donate and help out?
1: Okay, so real quick, um, we actually have our first sanctioned USPA meet December 12th. Oh, well. So properly titled after uh, our first release, and it's called the No Luck Needed Open. So like one of our big mottos, especially since me and Colleen built the foundation from literally nothing, um, was uh, we don't need luck, we make our own. So we entitled it the No Look Open. It already sold out. I'm really, really excited. We have a super supportive community. We have people driving from like West Virginia and stuff. So like I'm super duper hype about it. Um, so we're going to be doing some charity events at that, of course. Um, a lot of the t-shirt money, uh, I designed like a really cool t-shirt for it. Um, by the way, just a quick shout out, not to myself, but um, all, all the uh, all the shirts and stuff from the foundation, I hand draw and then I scan and then I digital fun stuff to it on the computer um but all that stuff's hand drawn so like you can even see behind me i'm actually in the upstairs art studio right now with all the clothes and stuff behind me um but all that stuff's hand drawn so like i really try to take my time on stuff i'm not one of those dude that just like slaps a logo into photoshop and prints 100 shirts and tries to take you for your money i put like 30-hour designs into t-shirts and like i'm up here like a madman like scribbling down on paper Doug, and stuff.
0: I, listen i don't think anybody can fucking listen to this podcast all the way through and question your passion uh, and i don't um, think anybody's listening is being like he's throwing I know, this I don't, together. I
1: don't, sometimes i don't know if it's a good thing i think it takes up too much time honestly wow well, that my whatever you're a passionate yeah. guy it is this is, how, this is how starving artists happen man like, just that's it man like, you're an artist where, where have you been it. for five days i've been drawing that's like, right, yeah, that's, you know, right. Um, that's right but you can get a hold of us on my Instagram at Papa Bear Rogers. Um, and we also have a gym Instagram page now. It's the bear cave underscore MD for Maryland. Um, but my web store, we're actually getting a new website designed currently. But my web store right now is papabearstrong.bigcartel.com. Links are in my bio and tabs and stuff. Same with the Elite FDS articles. If you want to read on actually some of the stuff crazy theory stuff you and me talked about earlier today and also like the humble beginnings of the foundation and stuff like that i published like kind of a very big variety of type stuff um but yeah my my biggest goal for the foundation is i really want to have a huge facility where underprivileged children can come and train for free learn about powerlifting learn about taking care of themselves but more importantly use those aspects of it to become more independent that yes, while it's good to have people you trust like me who to confide in, to have those father figures, to teach people that like you, you can own this, you can change who you are. You can make this better for you if you really want to and learn how to. So that's my, that's my biggest goal for the charity. And when all is said and done
0: and you're looking back, how do you want to be remembered?
1: um it's actually a really important question for me because i've actually uh due to a, a couple of trips i don't i don't really want to talk about it out loud but um it's made me really think about this real recently um i want my my family my my gym friends my family who have been beside me since i started the bear cave um and my kids like you know a lot of people you know they might make fun of it they might like you know say like you know it's it's stupid to think like that but like i mean i I want not for me particularly but before but what i'm building like i want it to be a legend man i want it to be a legacy i want i want my friends to you know when i'm not here you know take that take that burden and take on what i've started and i want my kids to look back and say you know I I knew a guy and that guy became my dad and that dude did fucking everything he could for me. And it made me want to do everything I can for my kids. Like I want to, I want people to see that and see it as an example and see it as like, you don't have to be who you were supposed to be. Like you can rewrite your story. You can fucking change all that shit if you want it bad enough. And if you find the right people to stand beside you and believe in you like one of the big things I always thought was you know they always say you know because this relates more than just to the gym but like they said if you know if you're the strongest person in the fucking room or the strongest person in your gym find a new gym I never thought, thought that was fucking true I always thought that if you found a place that you were fucking willing to give everything for and the people inside trusted you to give everything keep doing that shit because that's what's going to fucking matter because the only reason you need to do better is so the people around you can see you doing better and say, I want to do that shit. I want to be better.
0: There's something poetic about a guy who found powerlifting, a writer who found powerlifting and rewrote his story. There's something poetic about an, an author and a writer who, who did that, who changed his story and said, this isn't how my story ends. And everything you said about alcohol being, making you think the way you write. And then finally found something there's seriously, there's uh, it's a hell of a fucking story, man. It's very inspirational. And people who hear some stuff like you just said, and you're like, some people make, might, might make fun of it. Those are people who look at these, these institutions, these organizations that turn into institutions happen all the time, we know this. People who make fun are never going to be a part of something like that. The only people who actually get something like that going are the ones who believe and speak on passion and go one hundred and don't worry about that. So I mean, it's whatever. There's always going to be people talking, man.
1: The, I mean, not- and, that, and it sucks because because like of course I like to write it in very poetic terms and or as a barbend would call it, some very uh, depressing and sad captions, but um. In more layman's terms man like dude it's it's fucking foot on the gas from here dude like the gym started the charity's kicking we got a meets lined up we're already talking about more meets i just got shit on the uspa board approved like it is fucking power moves only from here out like it's gonna i, I told i keep telling my guys here just like i've told them every fucking year and just like i talked to you about my little boy cam that came home from the military everything i've ever fucking said to these people i meant every fucking word of it and i told i told one of my guys today sitting next to me i said look at where your ass is sitting right now this october and wait to see where your ass is sitting next october is there going to be a change
0: proof is in the pudding listen um i appreciate you coming on here it's been a hell of a podcast dude i never would have i had no idea I'm so glad we got the chance (laughs) to sit down and do this. Uh, Obviously, hope nothing but the best, man. I mean, keep in contact. Let me know how everything's going. Um, Freaking wow. you got a hell of a story, man.
1: Of course, man. I really appreciate you, you know, giving me the time and the chance to be on here and talk a little bit and shoot the shit. And man, I didn't really think we'd be talking a lot of theory today, but I I mean, I enjoy these conversations. Brother, we could do, I could do, (laughs) it's funny because like
0: I can have, the whole spectrum from a guy like Gavard on and we're just shooting this shit bounce from topic to topic, talking trash, talking about powerlifting. I could have somebody who's super into powerlifting on, I'm going to have uh, squat university back on okay. and we'll get technical into the lifts or have coaches on who talk about handling or have an individual like yourself and just get into like, man, that's the beauty of it. You know, is not having to do the same structured podcast question and answer style you know what i mean
1: yeah no i really i really enjoyed this one this was a lot of fun
0: dude i enjoyed it too thank you very much much appreciated um we're obviously going to keep in contact so good luck my friend i'm in your course course. man i'm
1: I'm about to send you a list of five movies to watch right now you did
0: right man i need this we're already getting deep in october talk to you later man thanks for coming on
1: see you